This isn't funny, Amber. Would you like to play a game, Tara? Three attacks so far. Do you have a gun? I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Something about this one just feels different. Samantha? I'm... I know who you are. I've been through this. A lot. This is your life now, which means that whoever this is is gonna keep coming for you. You ready? For this? Never. There's certain rules to surviving. The attacks were all on people related to the original killers. Whatever his link is to our past, it's pulled us all back here. And I won't sleep until he's in the ground. And hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cynical Podcast. I am your Cine host, Cordell, and with me tonight, I have Luke back again to uh, review Scream 5, or as it's better known as Scream 2022. Uh, say hi, Luke. Do you like scary movies, Cordell? Oh, you bet I do. What's your favorite scary, scary movie? My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> What's up, folks? <laughs> uh, so tonight we are going to review Scream 2022, unofficially yeah. known as Scream 5. I don't know why they call... You, you know what? I'm noticing that. Like, every freaking reboot of a horror franchise, they're just... At the one word title again, and it's confusing me. They even think they're clever by uh, I, calling it out in the movie, but it's still stupid. <laughs> so, you guys are in for a treat tonight. Luke will actually be taking um, taking the lead on this review. Uh, Scream has been on Paramount Plus. Uh, it did not allow me to watch it for some reason because, you know, Paramount Plus took my money and then decided not to let me use the services. Dude, you should call them out on Twitter. So. They never respond, but yeah. I still always do that. You hear that, Paramount? Um, Get your shit together. Yeah, Paramount, what the fuck? First you throw away the Friday the 13th franchise, now this. Oof. Well. Um. 
but before we get into that, we are going to start this off by what have you been watching? So, Luke, what have you been watching? Oh, man. Oh, how long ago did we do that? Two weeks ago? What have I been watching? You know it's bad. i got to pull up my letterbox. Uh, <laughs> well, hmm. I got, like, one major one. But I think... Uh, okay, I, I, I'll, I got two. I'll throw at you. So, I watched for the first time Heathers, actually. Which, somehow, I had never seen before. because Which is really strange, because this is a movie that, like, I, like, I should have loved. Like, this is very Scream-esque. It's, um... It's, uh... The anti-John Hughes movie. You know this one, Cordell? I do not. What's you it do? about? Um, so, it's, uh... Winona Ryder... It's, it's like, you know Mean Girls? Oh, I love Winona Ryder. She is cute. So, Winona Ryder and Christian Slater are a couple of high schoolers, and basically, uh, Winona's part of this clique of, like, bitchy girls, and to make a really long story short, her and, uh, her boyfriend, Christian Slater, who's, like, literally impersonating Jack Nicholson, end up poisoning (laughs) the, the head one, and, uh, they basically stage it as a suicide, and then figure out, hey, we can make our high school better by killing off our classmates, and staging them as teen suicides and basically the movie is like this whole satire about um you know kids killing themselves but it plays it totally for laughs um i really enjoyed it i i can't believe i've never seen it before um it's on shutter uh both with and without the joe bob briggs commentary which i highly recommend i mean it's just it's a lot of fun um, I mean, anyone, th- th- Scream took some inspiration from this. I saw some, like, all kinds of stuff. It's just, uh, I can't believe I slept on it. But yeah, I was really, really impressed with that. Oh, okay. So, what else you got up your sleeve? And the other one is I went to the theaters and I saw The Batman. You catch it yet? Uh, yep. I did. That was actually going to be on my list of uh, what I've been watching. Oh, shit. You want to save it or just get into it now? No, we can get into some of it now. We're not, it's like, we're not reviewing Batman, folks. Uh, oh. not, at least not yet. We will get to Batman at some point on this show. Alright, well, the new Batman. That movie was, like, tailor-made for my sensibilities. Um, I don't know about you, Cordell, but, like, right off the bat, like, this is just a dark, gritty, noir, like, the Riddler is the Zodiac killer, Batman is just beating the fuck out of people. It gets back back to the core essence of the original, like, run of Batman. Like, dark and gritty. Yeah, he's a a detective. Um, There's none of the, like, crazy villain shit, right? Like, they have the Penguin, but he's just, he's literally just a mobster, you know? And it's all Batman, like, infiltrating nightclubs, like, getting into the political corruption, while this, like, seven Zodiac, like, serial killer is, like, basically killing a person a day. And, I mean, honestly, Cordell, I loved the hell out of that movie. Like, just, it was freaking awesome. You what know you what? I actually like the movie too. I like the movie too, um, but I think you know because I'm so you know saturated with Batman as having these 
comic book style villains, it was kind of like some whiplash for me to see it taken so re- like more seriously, like real real life like. Um, to see the Riddler as like a Zodiac killer type uh, person, it was kind of. I mean, I don't think they're going to keep it too realistic because they do kind of tease the Joker in it, too. But, um, no, the movie was actually really good. I was surprised at how much I liked it. The only biggest issue I had with it was Robert Pattinson does a great job as Batman, but when he's Bruce Wayne, he's got that deadpan stare on his face that he had when he played Edward in Twilight. I was like, oh, my God, you did not fix that. You did not fix that stale. Well, what I found interesting is uh, he's only Bruce Wayne for, what would you say, probably like 10 minutes of that whole three-hour movie. Yeah, he he doesn't spend a lot of time as Bruce Wayne. He's, I mean, even when... Even when he's Bruce Wayne, he's not thinking he's Bruce Wayne. He's thinking he's Batman. And I love that. It's it's just like it's like Frank Miller, which is like the Batman I grew up with, reading like Year One and The Dark Knight Returns. I love the idea that he's um just he he's just twenty four seven Batman. Like even in the scenes when he's not wearing the mask in the movie, he's Batman wearing a Bruce Wayne disguise. You know what I mean? And I really really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. on the character. Yeah, but that, you know, that's always kind of been, you know, a, a thing of Bruce Wayne's is, like, he doesn't think of himself as Bruce Wayne. He thinks of his, himself as Batman all the time, and Bruce Wayne is his public persona. He doesn't, like, that's always, you know, from the old movies to the cartoons, that's always kind of been Batman's thing. But, you, yeah, I, I, I give you... You know, I give you props to what you're saying. I mean, it's correct. I mean, the Batman folks, if you haven't gotten to theaters to check it out yet, it's a great, it's a really good movie. It's got action. It's got suspense. It's It's got um, some horror scenes, honestly. It's, uh, there's a yeah, lot of horror influence. Like, D- DC, so, man. DC's yeah, been Yeah, the while. Batman. I don't know if you're a big comic book guy, Cordell, but uh, lately the sh- the stuff DC's been putting out there, they're like, especially their R-rated harder stuff. I've been uh, I've been really jiving to. Well, I think DC's kind of been on like a crash course correction ever since the uh, Schneiderverse th- uh, idea fell apart. I think they've kind of been on like some type of okay damage control because you know. Man of Steel didn't do so well. Batman v Superman didn't do so well. Justice League did all right. The first Suicide Squad was all right. Uh, Wonder Woman did great. Have you seen the uh, the new Suicide Squad? Not yet. Oh, you've got to check it out, dude. I'm. You know what? I'm one of those few people who like the first Suicide Squad movie. Like. I don't need all the over-the-top violence and gore and blood that the new one is bringing. I I like the first Suicide Squad they put out, and I mean, people might look at me and say I'm wrong. Well, guess what? I'm wrong, and I'm proud. 
You're wrong and you're proud. You're correct. Yep. No, it's it's Pretty not much. terrible though. It's not. I mean, it's not terrible. I I, I like the over the top gore and violence though. But uh, I mean, I don't think the first the first one is like some piece of shit. But yeah, I don't know, yeah, man. DC is doing good in my book. Yep, I'm kind of really interested to see. Uh, I actually just read an article not too long ago that. You know how they got Sam Raimi to do the next Stephen Strange movie for Marvel? Yeah. The Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? Mm-hmm. Uh, the article basically said, you know, if you're a fan of, like, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead, then you'll like what he does with Doctor Strange. Yeah, you know, I, I probably will go yeah. see that just out of loyalty to Sam. Because um, I've pretty much skipped, like, almost everything Marvel's put out this year. Just that, like, none of it look, has looked that great. Except Spider-Man, but I didn't get around to seeing it yet. But, yeah, I'll, I'll probably go. I'm always curious what Sam Raimi does. It That'll be his first movie in, like, ten years. I will be honest. I... I practically tried to keep up to date with every movie Marvel put out up until the last Avengers film. I mean, yes, I did go see Black Widow. I did go and see Shang-Chi and Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, You skipped the Eternals, folks, which is what everyone says you should do. (laughs) No, actually, I did. Because it's kind of like a tradition that me and my buddy, uh, Justin, we go and watch the newest comic book film that comes out theaters. Usually, we go and see it together, and then we talk about it afterwards. And we did go see Eternals in theaters, and I was so bored with that movie. Like, I didn't... I know some people are excited because they're setting up new characters but I don't know I'm I'm personally not uh, I don't know much about the Eternals in terms of like the comic book so I have a hard time being excited for it you know to me the Eternals is not Iron Man they're not Captain America they're not the Avengers they're not even the Guardians of the Galaxy yeah, you know, so, like, like I watched The Last Avengers, I was like, alright, I'm happy, like, you guys did a pretty solid 20-plus movie run, like, you know, I got my fill, and now, like, like, yeah, like, everything that's come out, right, like, Black Widow, I was like, eh, that character's dead, I don't care, Shang-Chi, I was like, eh, it looks alright for a martial arts movie, The Eternals, I was like, eh, looks pretentious. Um, I think where they really messed up with Black Widow, that movie was supposed to come out before The Last Avengers film. If that movie had come out before Endgame, I think that movie would have had more of an impact. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, by contrast, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I think the pendulum swung, and that I think for me, the stuff DC makes is just a little more interesting. Like, uh, going from, like, Joker to, like, Birds of Prey, the Zack Snyder's Justice League and the Suicide Squad. Um, all that stuff, I think, has got some more... I, I like that DC is willing to go the the harder the harder edged. I mean, I, I would love if Marvel would come out and give us, like, a proper Punisher or Ghost Rider movie, you know, and, like, push the boundaries. But I don't think Disney will ever... Well, 
Well, you know, it might. They might because I'm sure you've heard that they took all the Netflix shows and they put them on Disney Plus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did hear that the the Daredevil guy made a cameo in Spider Man, didn't he? Yep, they put those Netflix shows on Disney+. Plus. There's rumors that they're going to be doing Deadpool 3, and that's still going to be rated R. And apparently they're also doing the, uh, I think it's a TV show on Disney+, Plus called Moon Knight. That's going to be somewhat kind of got like some heavy, darker tones to it, so... And, you know, they're also, uh, Disney, Marvel, the MCU, they're also doing a Blade movie. So I think that they're starting to dip their toes into the more adult-oriented mains in the MCU. Um, I think, yeah, I would like them to do a proper Punisher, but that might, there might be some logistical issues with that right now. I don't know. I would like to see them do something with the Punisher, uh... I think it really all depends on how Moonlight and Blade and them go. If people react to the more darker tone in the Disney MCU that well. Yeah, well, that, that's the kicker, isn't it? I don't think you can stick... I don't think now... Well, they have the established brand, right, of the MCU. And I don't think now they can just go and be like, Hey, guys, the Punisher exists in this universe and he's going to be, you know, shooting people in the face. Like, it would have to be some, like, new spin-off, like, its own universe, you know what I mean? I uh, am kind of excited. Uh, is there anything else that you've watched? No, nah, that's all I got, bud. Watched, uh, watched the Leprechaun for St. Patrick's Day, but I do that every year. <laughs> what do you got? Uh, you watched the original Leprechaun? Or did yeah. you watch Leprechaun in the Hood? <laughs> you know, it's funny, because last year I did watch Leprechaun in the Hood. That movie's hilarious. Uh, no, nah, I just watched the original this year. You know what? That It's not... For, like, direct-to-video, like, 90s junk, it's not terrible. The makeup is great on Warwick Davis. But, uh... It, it's, like, really... It's, like, this weird, like... It, you, you can tell they were, like... We should make... They're trying to ride that line of, like... This should be, like, kid-friendly horror. But they're still, like... We have to have the leprechaun kill people. So it's... I don't know. It's... It, it, it's, like, thoroughly mediocre, you know? <laughs> you a fan? So... So... As I already stated, I watched uh, the new Batman movie. And... I actually enjoyed it. Um, I really haven't been watching a lot of movies lately. More, I've been watching like a lot of stuff on Netflix, uh, documentaries and stuff like that. I've been watching this one documentary called um, "Turning Point: 9/11 and the War on Terror." It kind of traces, you know, our start from September 11th to right before we pulled out of Afghanistan. Uh, it's an interesting documentary. It, it'll make you, like, kind of unbelieve the kind of clusterfuck that the government put us in, but... Um, I've been with... Have you ever heard of, like, a couple call shows on Netflix, like, 
Rust of Riches or Rust Valley Restores? No, nah, i never heard of them. Have you ever heard of them? So, basically, they're each um, in their respective shows where um, these garages take these rusted out, you know, basically people would look at them as junk, and they bring them back to life as awesome hot rods. Um, on Rust Valley, they basically bring it back to life as like it did out of the factory, and then Rust of Riches is about a place in California called Gotham Garage. And they basically, like, build hot rods with kind of, like, a unique touch to them. Um, it's a really good series if you're a car person or if you like restoration videos. I was going to ask, you a big, uh, you a big car guy? Uh, I mean, I'm not really the kind of person that goes to car shows and that, but I am a re- restoration video watcher. So it's kind of something I like to watch every now and then. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I do. Um, I do think it's cool that they can like take these old cars that are pretty like messed up and get them back into like like new condition. That's that's pretty sweet. I did watch the new Obi Wan Kenobi teaser trailer that Disney put out, and I gotta say I'm excited to see. Ian McGregor come back to see Hayden Christensen come back. I'm really excited to see how this uh, series goes because I've been watching like almost everything Disney's been putting out, Star Wars wise on Disney Plus. Um, no secret that I'm a big Star Wars fan. Uh, you know, it's funny. I just I've had and they tease a lot in. The- but uh, it's kind of fun because, <laughs> yeah, you don't sit there and binge watch The Mandalorian. Nah, you know, every and I know it looks good, and I know I'd probably like it. I just uh, just haven't gotten around to it. But the uh, the Obi Wan teaser does look pretty cool. I, I will grant you. Yeah, they tease so much in it that's like hyping people up. Like they got the Inquisitors in there. They they tease Vader in it, Obi-Wan. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. You know, because I would like... I would like Disney to make more content based in, like, the prequel original trilogy era. Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I think I think they've pretty much... See, it's like... This is my issue, Cordell, and maybe you'll you'll have a different take on this. Is in my view, it seems like Dis- everyone loves Disney when Disney basically like is playing off of the nostalgia for the old stuff. But like, I think they really fucked up the sequel trilogy. So I'm pretty like I'm pretty. In- I'm not gonna lie to you. After that last movie they put out, The Rise of Skywalker, dude, I walked out of that movie. I was like. Disney never should have got Star Wars. This movie was fucking garbage. Like, fuck you. You know, I liked The Force Awakens. I liked Rise of Skywalker a little bit. It was The Last Jedi that really kind of, where I was kind of like, ugh, I don't like this movie. Because, you know, my, my biggest problem 
with the sequel trilogy is Disney didn't... You know how when George Lucas made the original and the prequel trilogy, he put he spaced it he spaced each movie out by like a a year or two. Mm-hmm. He he spaced it out between like two or three years, so he could get all his ideas in order, write the script, make the changes that he wanted, before he made the movie. Disney just pumped out movie to movie to movie to movie. What twenty fifteen we had the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Then in 2016 it was Rogue One, which I actually liked Rogue One. That's it's the best 20, one they've done in my 2017. 2017 it was Solo. Uh, yeah, 2018 was Last Jedi, and then 2019 was uh, Rise of Skywalker. So like they didn't put no time in between these movies to really make a cohesive story no and then, Dis- you know, disney got the property the and they're like we can pump this sh- we can pump shit out and people will pay top dollar to see it all those movies made over a billion dollars except for solo you know but in doing so in in my view i think they really cheapened the brand i don't know uh i do plan on covering the star wars films on here at one point uh, I can get into it a little better then. But basically, I just feel like Disney, yeah, they cheapened the brand because they didn't really put together a story of, you know, what should happen. You know, when they first got Star Wars, when they first bought the property, the very first thing they did was, oh, everything that people love about Star Wars, the expanded universe, you know... Because there was so much history beyond the original trilogy at this point. You know, Luke Skywalker had a wife and had a kid and Han and Leia had kids. You had the Yuuzhan Vong War and things like that. And Disney was like, nope, it's all going in the trash. We're making our own, like, new new stuff. And it was like, okay, wow, okay. Yeah, that's a, I know that, that definitely at the time annoyed me that they were just like, all this built-up stuff, just, you know, throw it out. Screw now, you. In, now, in Disney's defense, they have brought elements of the expanded universe into their Star Wars. Um, like, I know when they did the Rebels cartoon, they did bring in Grand Admiral Thrawn. Thrawn is supposed to be coming back for the Ahsoka series that they're uh, making. So, I'm not going to say I have hope, but I'm still a little excited. I mean, it is Star Wars. And whether or not that I li- whether or not I like the final product, I'm still going to watch it because it's Star Wars. Yeah, I get that. I mean, as we'll, uh, maybe we'll talk about tonight, but with Scream, I mean, I think uh, it's definitely the case of, like, if you know what you're going to get for the most part, you'll tune in and, you know, basically see what, what what's new with the franchise. Well, since you, uh, since you brought up Scream, I think if you're done about movies and I'm done about what we've been watching, I'd, how about we get into it? Yeah, sure thing. So, 
What? Oh no, no, I'm good. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say any anything uh anything else you wanted to bring up? Um oh there actually is something. Remember I was on Instagram and I follow a bunch of like uh people who are like Tales from the Crypt fanatics. Okay. And I brought up, you know, the whole issue we talked about last time with like the rights. Ooh, what did you find out? Well, from what I understand, actually, if you give me a minute, I could probably pull it up. Um, do you mind if I go ahead and read you uh, some of these things that I, uh, some of these comments that were said back to me? Yeah, man. What you got? So basically, what I said was. Um, can anyone tell me what's going on with the rights to Tales from the Crypt? Because, you know, with all these horror properties coming back, it would be a ripe opportunity for HBO or somebody to bring back the Crypt Keeper. And uh, this one user, he goes by the name of CryptTube. Uh, he has a YouTube channel as well. Um... You ch- hold on, I'm going to take a drink before I read all this, because there's a lot to read. The Sinner Tales from the Cult Crypt Podcast. Yeah. So, here you go, ladies and gentlemen. No, I'm interested. What the hell is going on with the rights, actually? this I, I've never heard anyone talk about this. Maybe there's some fanatical Tales from the Crypt podcast out there who's cursing uh, my name, but this Crypt is... Tube. I'm intrigued. CryptTube says... The issue is that EC Comics was dealing with a nearly 10-year trademark custody battle regarding usage of the names Crypt Keeper and Tales from the Crypt. And they were having this battle with Tales from the Crypt Holdings, a.k.a. Joel Silver Pictures. Are you familiar with them? Silver no, Pictures. I'm not. Apparently, Silver Pictures is this big deal uh, film company. And they have a thing, they have like a branch called Tales from the Crypt Holdings. The issue with the series being brought back was not only just that battle, but the series is synonymous with the HBO depiction of the Crypt Keeper. And most production companies cannot imagine remaking Tales from the Crypt Keeper without the HBO puppet or the character in general. TNT attempted this, but didn't anticipate the difficulties and actually acquiring the full rights of the trademarks. As of now, the, the trademarks are cleared by default due to Silver Pictures showing lack of interest in the proceedings. I have no idea how it works beyond this point if EC Comics has to re-register those trademarks under their banner again, but so far they have not put out any official statements regarding it. The first and easiest assumption for Silver pictures retaining the rights for all these years even through the custody battle is money. Any use of the Crypt Keeper, Tales from the Crypt, or Silver Pictures would probably get a huge cut in profits. The last official appearance of the Crypt Keeper was during Net, uh, Fear Net 2012 New Year Shocking Eve event. This was a few years prior to the before Jack Wall, the president of Tales from the Crypt Productions, passed away. In EC Comics' case, I would assume that they are holding out this long for this trademark case to end. 
I think I speak for everyone who is either a fan of HBO or the EC version of The Crypt Keeper. You can't have a Tales series without The Crypt Keeper, and it's time to bring him back. So basically, it sounds like it's tied up in like the image of the actual Crypt Keeper himself, huh? Yes, and like, you know, who gets the right to use the names and everything. And I actually went to Twitter, because there's someone on Twitter who's also a big Crypt Keeper person. And they had a link, and it was like all the court documents. Because this case has been going on since tw- 2013. Hmm, where does this sound familiar? And the last thing the last thing on it was in February of 2021 and it basically said the case was closed because as I mentioned, um, Silver Productions has been showing a lack of interest in keeping the property. But from what I understand, EC or HBO or whatever, have not made any public announcements on bringing the Crypt Keeper or Tales from the Crypt back. So, what I probably just said there was even more confusing, but that's the only answer that I've been able to find. So basically, all these Hollywood execs, it's like a, it sounds like a real Friday the 13th kind of situation. Yeah, the only difference is with Friday the 13th, it was kind of more of like, uh, I think really how that started out was, you know, Victor Miller was saying he owned the rights to Jason and the character of Jason and Sean Cunningham owned the rights to Friday the 13th. And that was where that whole dispute came from. Yeah, but I mean, that shit's been going on about the same amount of time, actually, and there's still no end in sight. Yeah, that's that sucks, though, you know, like, uh. I, I can't believe that like people see money leave money on the table and they're not willing to cut some kind of deal or negotiate something like I mean we're in the age where a new Tales from the Crypt series I think really could uh could take off you know with the era of streaming and Netflix like I mean even if HBO were to pick up the series again they have you know I saw a YouTube video where they took uh. They gave an exclusive, I guess they have a warehouse out there filled with all the Tales from the Crypt stuff. All the puppets, all the props and things like that. It's all there waiting to be used again. Come on, HBO. I mean, shit, more importantly, just why can't why can't the whole series just be up on HBO, you know? Like, it's, uh, it's ridiculous well, how I that mean, works out. And, you know, that's the thing, you know, even if HBO doesn't do nothing with it, then EC Comics should get on the ball, get the trademarks back in their name, and put that stuff out there again. I mean, they still make copies of Tales from the Crypt comics and everything. Oh, yeah, they do, don't they? I mean, if you go on their Instagram page, they're always sharing something Tales from the Crypt. So, it's not like EC Comics is, is ashamed of this property. Yeah, it's just uh, those pesky rights holdings, I guess, that hold it back. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, that's interesting, though. That's, you know, that sucks. It, it is interesting to always kind of go down those rabbit holes. But, 
other than that, that is all I have. So are you ready to get into Scream? Hell yeah, man. Let's get into it. All right. So today we are talking about Scream 5. You know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to call it Scream 5 because that's really what this is. Yeah, I was I was going to suggest that. Starring Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Melissa Barrera, Jack Quaid, Mickey Madsen, Jenna Ortega, Dylan Manette, Jasmine Savoy Brown, Mason Gooding, Sonia Amar, Molly Shelton, Skeet Ulrich, Kyle Garner, Heather Matarazzo, with Roger L. Jackson returning as the voice of Ghostface. And we also have some voiceovers by Matthew Lillard, Drew Barrymore, Jamie Kennedy, Henry Winkler, and Adam Brody. Henry Winkler is still alive? Yeah, apparently. (laughs) Which is amazing because I thought he looked old as shit in the original. So right off the top, you you saw this in theaters, right, Gordo? Opening weekend? I was there opening weekend when this came out. I was I was upset that I couldn't see Halloween Kills opening weekend, so I made it a point to see this opening weekend. Pretty packed house? Um, not really. I mean, the theater was decently filled, but it wasn't packed. I don't think... I think, you know, with, you know, with us just kind of finally coming out at the end with the COVID-19 pandemics, I think there's still a lot of people around here who are not really comfortable going out to theaters right now. Um, Not saying that's everybody because, like I said, the theater was decently filled, but it wasn't. It wasn't like it was for Spider-Man No Way Home. When I went and saw Spider-Man No Way Home opening night, that theater was so fucking packed. (laughs) Yeah, I was just curious. I I went and saw it um, Saturday night opening weekend, Full House. Pretty decently packed and really receptive crowd. It's always fun to get like people being like, oh shit, and that when jump scares happen. But I was curious how your experience was. And my experience was great. I was sitting up there. I'm having the fucking time of my life watching this movie. Because I was like, you know, it's a slasher movie. I like slasher movies. So, Scream, Halloween, anything slashery, I'm going to be in the theater to watch it. And I don't care if the person next to me is covering their eyes, being like, oh, this is nasty. Who can, who stands to watch this stuff? <laughs> me, bitch. I'm watching it like. It's nobody's business. Oh, all right. Let's get into the movie. How was your experience? Good, man. I mean, like I said, pretty packed house the first time. Um, I definitely had people being like, ah, like reacting to the jump scares and stuff like that. I mean, that's what you want. I was pissed, though, because I went and saw Halloween Kills in costume. And that was my whole plan for this movie was to go see it in costume. Well, I was in such a hurry to get to the theater, I forgot my costume. <laughs> oh, man. Yo, that would be so... If I went to a Scream movie and it was like Scream 2, like Ghostface, that'd be the coolest shit ever. <laughs> I, uh, just a quick anecdote. I, I So the 2018 Halloween, I went overboard on and saw it like four times in two weeks. And uh, the third time I went, 
uh, on like a Saturday afternoon. A dad brought it, and a dad and his kid were in there, and the kid was dressed up as Michael Myers with like the trick or treat with the bloody tears mask from Trick or Treat uh-huh. Studios, and that was like the coolest thing ever. I actually went and saw Halloween Kills three times in theaters. Once with a friend of mine, once with my mom, and then the last night by myself. Wow, that's great. The la- uh, yeah, I, the 2018 one I saw four times in theaters. I'm- that's rare for a movie, but that's awesome. Really, I know. It's very rare that I go see a movie more than once. I uh, I sense some drama might happen on the Halloween Kill show, though. Because yeah. I get the sense you like that movie. I do. I Actually, it is one of my favorites in the franchise now. Oh, man. It's, I like it a lot better than H2O, Resurrection... The listeners are in suspense, and half of them probably hate you now. I don't care. <laughs> I like whatever the hell I want to like. Like, you know, there's people out there who like Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, and I think that movie's utter fucking garbage. But lest you think we're off the mark, folks, this conversation is actually very relevant to Scream 2022. Yeah, no shit. Um, and I think, and I actually think it's kind of cool that the Scream came out right after uh, Halloween Kills, which obviously was an extremely divisive movie and brought up a lot of people arguing over what makes a true fan, as we shall get into. Yeah, this uh, this movie, you know, we were talking about the term weakle last time with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is actually when I saw this movie back in January. This is the this movie was the first time I had ever ever heard that term. Yeah, while while we're on tangents, let's get that out of the way. Did you have you ever heard the term requel? Okay, you just said I have never heard the term requel before this movie. But yeah, in the movie, I, they're like, oh, fans debate on it. I'm like, who the hell was saying the word requel before this movie? Yeah, that's, you know, like, I've never heard of the term requel. I've heard of remake, reboot. You know, normally when, like, you know, when Halloween 2018 came out, all I heard people saying is, oh, it's a reboot. Yeah, same. And that's what I think of it as. They were not saying, oh, it's a requel. It's a remake, like, I'm going to assume that requel is short, is slang for remake slash sequel. But nobody fucking called Halloween 2018 that when it came out. At least not in all the fucking chats that I was looking at. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they, they're coining the term in this movie here. But I think it does kind of fit. I guess, I, should we... I th- yeah, I think that by them trying to say, oh, fans debate on it, I think they were trying to somehow legitimize the word by saying, oh, yeah, the term's been around for a while, but this is where we're really bringing it to the forefront. Well, sorry, I just think the word is kind of stupid. I agree. I agree with and you. Plus, it's also difficult to pronounce. We, I can't pronounce my Ozak well. So when I when I'm trying to say requel, I'm trying to like say it without having to really, you know, I'm trying not to say requel. <laughs> yeah, I got you. So I guess. No good. I'm gonna let you go ahead and take the reins on uh, 
this long through where I'm sure we're gonna there's gonna be lots of parts of the movie that we talk about but uh, go ahead Luke and let get dive us into the new scream all right let's talk about scream 5 which um, just for reference I just finished watching about an hour ago and I have so, not seen it since January, so this is going to be really fun. So this will be fun. All right, so Scream 5 starts out um, the same as every other Scream movie with a ringing phone call. And so, uh, once again, we basically get the Drew Barrymore opening with... Yeah, this one, I like, you know, Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4, those ones really didn't try to recreate Drew Barrymore. This one does. So, it's not the only know, thing this movie is going to recreate, but we'll get into it. I know, but I'm just saying, like I, what you know, we, we've already brought up the use of the term "requel," and you can tell it right off the bat here with how they completely staged this whole. Um, I mean, they even go as far as to put in a landline phone. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. So, so we start with Jenny Ortega's character, Tara. Um, alone in a house that looks a lot like the house Drew Barrymore was in. <laughs> um, and she's texting with her friend Amber, who we'll meet later, just saying, uh, you know, my mom's out of town, you want to come over and get drunk, you know, teenage shit. And, uh, yeah, all of a sudden, this has got to be Cordell, the last movie we'll ever see to have a landline. Because even it. in theater, even in theaters, I was like, does this movie take place, like, a decade ago? Like, because the, the landline phone starts ringing. No, well, it, to be fair, they still sell landline phones in, you know, like, Walmart and stuff like that. Like, there's still people out there who prefer landlines. What would have made it even funnier was if it was still a corded landline phone. Yeah, that, that would have been really crazy. I, I'm sure they don't make those. I mean, maybe someone does, but... Oh, they do. I sold a few of them at Walmart. But that would have just been funny to hear a kid in the theater go, Mommy, what is that? Why does that phone have a cord attached to it? <laughs> yeah, and actually, in the context of the scene, I mean, uh, it's for a reveal, like, five minutes after this, but it's like, yeah, knowing what we know, why does Ghostface call the landline? But um, So basically, the phone rings... And to no one's shock, we get Roger L. Jackson's dulcet tones once again. And uh, they do a cool little, an interesting little spin in that at first she thinks that he's some dude her mom met at some, like, therapy group. So we already get, like, a hint, because basically she's like, oh, my mom met you at AA, huh? So we already get the sense that, like, this family's a little, uh, a little screwed up. But uh, he's, he does the typical Ghostface thing where he's like, oh, yeah, like, he's trying to play awkward. You know, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, just leave a message for your mom. The mom who will never once show up in this movie. I know. We'll, we'll, have, to, we'll have to bring that up. The mom is, like, vanishing. And I wonder if we might be supposed to maybe suspect her. I don't know. Yeah, they I, say, I am, don't they say she's in, like, Europe or something? Yeah, later on they drop a line, she's in London. Yeah, she's in London. Oh, my youngest daughter was just attacked. Oh, I'm just calling to hope you're okay. You know, I'm not about to be on a flight and hurry up, but, oh, God. 
Well, well something else you gotta realize: this movie only takes place over like two, three days. It, it you know, like I can buy I, it. I, I understand it. I, I would think you know maybe a day or two she'd be able to get there. But just uh, I something else while we we keep going off on tangents. I'm very interested, Cordell, to hear about like your list of suspects, who you suspected. So we'll uh, we'll touch on that throughout the movie because I definitely had points that stuck out to me. All right. But uh oh yeah, so she's on the phone with Ghostface doing the whole and basically how he baits her in and he's like, Oh, your mom mentioned you like movies. And so he does the what's your favorite scary movie kind of shtick and since it's twenty twenty two, she goes off about how much she loves the Babadook. Oh my god, an elevated horror, what the fuck? And we get this and we get this fun little thing where Ghostface is basically like Elevated horror is like, you know, what the hell is that? Stick to the classic slashers, which I thought was pretty amusing. Yeah, and then she immediately is like, oh, those movies suck. <laughs> and it, it honestly made me feel, uh, because I have had tried to introduce friends when I, in, when I was younger, you know, to like the classic Friday the 13th and stuff. And when she's like, oh, I maybe saw that once at a sleepover, you know, it was boring. or Like, that's kind of how she comes off. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's that's how most people react, <laughs> which is, is sad. It's not the first time this movie will do that. See, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. This is how you introduce the millennial Gen Z difference from the older generations and their movies. This is how you do it in a horror movie. Compared to what we said last time with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I can buy... You know, these are millennials, these are Gen Zs. They might not be familiar with the rules of the classic slashers and older horror because that's not their horror. They're into stuff like The Babadook and It Follows and stuff like that. I no. agree. I, I think that I wish this movie kind of leaned on it a little more, to be honest with you. Because we get, like, a couple references to some stuff in this opening here and, like, a little bit more later. But uh, I, I wish the movie would go a little more about, like, how the horror, the modern horror film plays out and how that could apply. Which they do talk about with requels, but we'll get into it. But, uh, so basically, pretty soon, Ghostface kind of lets the cat out of the bag. And he's like, uh... He starts, uh, he basically is, like, you know, threatening her, and I'm stumbling over my words. But, uh, so her friend Amber, who she was texting, she gets a text from, and turns out it's Ghostface, who has cloned Amber's cell phone, and he's showing her a video of him outside her window. And he's basically like, you're gonna play this game with me, or your friend's gonna die. Just like Casey and Steve. I will go ahead and say this. I thought this was going to be our opening kill, and I thought it was going to be an opening to kill. Yes. I was very, very surprised. A couple minutes, Cordo. 30 seconds. We'll get to it. <laughs> because how what happens after this opening shocked the hell out of me. So, basically, and this this is kind of a fun thing, he starts asking her questions about the original Stab, which, in-universe, is the, the Scream adaptation. Yep, it's basically, it's, you know, it's kind of what we said before, it's a movie within a movie. 
and I'm not gonna lie, Cordell, it always cracks me up seeing David Schwimmer played uh played Billy or not Billy, <laughs> Randy, I think. That's pretty funny. But he's like, you know, uh, who's the who's the main character in Stab? She goes, Sidney Prescott, right? Who's the reporter? Gail Weathers. And she's cheating. And then uh, she goes, like, you know, who uh, who was the opening kill? And she has to look it up on her phone. You know, it was uh, Heather Graham. Well, what we they set up earlier in the scene is that she has this electronic lock thing on the house. Where oh, from her forget, phone. She, fail, she fails the last question because he asks who was the killer in the original stab. And she thinks she gets him when she says Billy Loomis. Ah, but right, she, right. She, she forgot to mention Stu Marker. That's true. That is the last question. And she does yeah. the typical, ah, fuck you. It was Billy. Yeah. I know it. It was Jason. Jason was the killer. I saw that yeah, movie it, 20 I, goddamn times. This was Drew's, like, false Friday the 13th answer moment. So, but uh, as I was saying, so we know that she has this electronic locks on the house she can control from her phone. Well, someone unlocks all the doors. (laughs) And they never explain how Ghostface pulls this off, actually, but we'll just chalk it up to movie magic. So she goes up to the door, and, uh... This is bad, Cordell. I just saw it two hours ago. Basically, there's a there's a knock at the door or something. Well, she no, it wasn't so much a knock at the door. She he sends her the video of Amber, and she grabs a knife like she's gonna run over and save Amber. Yes, yes, yes. She opens the door. Ghostface is there and slashes her hand, or slashes her like across the chest. He gets her in the side. Yeah, that's right. And then he, she shuts the door, and then she does the whole door locked, door unlocked, door yeah. locked. I was worried they do that technology kind of crap throughout this movie. There's this moment and one other moment, but they, they do keep it to a minimum, pretty much. Yeah, I have a feeling that this house is a smart house. Yeah, it definitely is. So she gets it in the side, something pretty minor. Um, but yeah, so she locks the door. Well, Ghostface and her play this whole game of, like, he unlocks it, she locks it, <laughs> he unlocks it. Um, I love this. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. But then, uh, after they do that for a while, he, uh, he calls her up again, and he's like, you ready for a bonus round? Did I get into the house before you were able to relock it? And uh, Ghostface pops out from behind Tara, and man... He fucks her up. Well, first of all, this ghost face continues the clear ghost face tradition of getting his shit kicked in. Because she gets in <laughs> some good hits. And this won't be the first time. She's kicking him. Like, he stabs her. She kicks him in the face. But yeah, ghost face gets her on the ground. And man, Cordell, this is as brutal as Drew Barrymore's. Like, oh, God, dude. There are two moments that he does to her on the ground that fuck, like just make, that made me wince. I'm when sure you're he, he stomps on the he stomps on the leg, right? It's got oh my! That was. I do you do you remember the scene in Halloween H2O when that one girl, the one that gets killed in the kitchen, has that dumb waiter that falls on her ankle and it basically cuts it down to the bone. Mm-hmm. And then she was like dragging her leg across the floor and everything. Yeah, that, man. 
that when he steps on her leg like that, that really reminded me of that scene, and I just cringed so hard. Yeah, he, uh, he, I mean, he slashes her across the chest, he stomps on her leg after she, I think she kicks him in the face or something. But, yeah, uh, the, ooh, the one that really got me, she puts her hand up to defend herself. Yes. Now it goes right through the palm of her hand. Yeah, he's stabbing her through the palm. This is a very stabby Ghostface, this movie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Ghostface gets her on the ground, and he fucks her up, man. Like, he's... Honest to God, Cordell, I'll, I'll just say this now, because it does the typical scream thing where he stabs her a couple times, and then he raises the knife, slashes it down, and then we cut to the title of Scream. Yeah, but... I, can, I do not believe this character survived that, because she got stabbed. It, it, it's incredible to me, and it's not the first time this movie will do that. They really kind of play it fast and loose with who can survive what. Well, I, I just kind of put it as, because we're going to later find out who the killers are, and that it was a whole trap to get another character to come to town. Um, so I just kind of chalk it up as, like, they conveniently made sure to miss all the vital organs when they stabbed her, but they wanted to fuck her up enough just to, you know, kind of put her out. You know what I'm saying? Like, take her out of commission. And you know what I really liked is when they, right before he, Ghostface, like, can st- uh, as Ghostface finishes stabbing her up, the police get there, like, the, the police are, like, right there. Yeah, I, I guess that's how she survives too. Because you got to figure, like a minute, maybe like a minute after she gets stabbed, someone is there, like applying pressure and yeah, that kind so of thing. So. Kind of, but like I said, I think that might have been kind of the the whole plan for what who we find out this killer is. I think that was like part of the whole plan. I can sort of go with you. I don't know. There's a scene later we'll talk about where uh, Ghostface, these kill, these, I, I guess, should we mention we're going to do spoilers, obviously, off the top? Yeah, this is probably. like, <laughs> if you listen to this show, you know there's going to be spoilers in this review. Like, we are going through the movie bit by bit. There are going to be spoilers. So, I mean, do you want to spoil who the killers are now or do you want to at least wait? Ah, we'll, we'll wait a little bit. We'll wait a little bit. But we, we will reveal there are two killers. Yes. There are two killers. But I, yes. I don't know. I, I think the plan they have in place would have worked if they killed it. I, I don't think Ghostface is pulling his punches in this opening. I really don't. I think it's just lucky that Tara survives. Um, we, we do get the opening. But yeah, we do get the the Scream title slashes up. It's got the cool font they've been using uh, ever since Scream 2. And we cut to Modesto, California, where we meet Tara's sister, Sam, who is working at a bowling alley, uh, taking some pills. And her uh, boyfriend, Richie, comes out, and they have some, you know, awkward banter. Well, Sam gets a call from Wes Hicks, and then we're going to talk about Wes, because they Wes gets said a lot in this movie for a reason. Well, I'm going to go ahead. Wes Hicks is played by Dylan Minnette. Are you familiar with this actor? 
Nah, what's he been in? Um, I actually like this actor. The two things that I that come to my mind when I hear his name is he was in the first Goosebumps film with Jack Black that came out, I think, back in, like, 2015. Mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of... For a lot of millennials and for a lot of Gen Zers, Dylan Minnette is the actor who brought the character Clay Jensen to life in the Netflix uh, series 13 Reasons Why, based on the book by Jay Asher. Oh, he's in that. Okay. Yep, he is the main character. He is Clay Jensen. Oh, I will say... No, good. And, you know, if you like Dylan, if you like what Dylan does in this uh, movie... I definitely recommend to anybody to go and watch 13 Reasons Why all uh, four seasons. He he does a really good job in that role. I really do like what he brought to the character. Okay, yeah, I've never seen it, but I, I will say, um, and this is a good transition, because basically Sam gets a call, for, uh, a call from Wes where he's like, Tara's been attacked, you gotta come here. So her and Richie basically... Uh, pack up and leave and we cut to our Woodsboro gang 3.0 um, basically recreating that classic scene from Scream again with the recreations here where uh, our characters all hang around outside the school so just to run it down we have Wes um, who as we'll find out is the son of Judy Hicks Deputy Judy from part 4 who's now the sheriff um, we have Mindy and Chad, who are twins. We have Chad's girlfriend, Liz, who Hello. I guess is like the Tatum role. Yep, Liv. Uh, it should be mentioned that Mindy and Chad are the daughters of Martha Meeks, the sister of Randy Meeks from Pop Scream 1 and 2, making these two Randy's niece and nephew. Yes, I was and- going to get... Yes. Yep, Chad. Ch- Chad is, you know, Chad's kind of more like the clueless jock who's kind of movie savvy, but Mandy really takes after her uncle. Yeah, M- Mindy is the is the new Randy Mindy, for this not movie. Mandy, my bad. <laughs> um, and then we also have Amber, who was uh, Tara's friend. And just to just to take an aside, I really like these kids, Cordell. I mean, I, I think they're all a lot of fun. I think they're all pretty. I mean. I do they get a lot of good lines. How old do you think these people are supposed to be? Are they supposed to be like high school age or are they supposed to be like in their early 20s? I was going to ask you that, actually, because cause I, I have questions about that. Because the character Liv, I looked at my friend Justin and I was like, I would date that chick because I like goth girls. <laughs> was she goth? She will if she wasn't goth, she was kind of like punk. Do you, like she had the she had the dyed hair and everything. Yeah. Do you and think she the, kind of wore like the fishnets and the stuff like that? Do you get the sense there's like an age difference in this group? Because I kind of I kind of get the sense that like you have like uh, Mindy and Chad and Liz. These, ha- these and have to they, these people have to be at least in their early twenties because we are gonna get like a shower scene later on with Wes yeah. where you don't see you don't like get any nudity 
but like they show like him topless and that if these were supposed to be like 17 16 year olds i don't think they would show that no well i I get the sense uh, i think that like liz mindy and chad and probably Wes, maybe I think are supposed to be seniors. I guess like yeah, you know, seventeen, eighteen year olds. Yeah, Amber, but, Amber they, and Taylor, I think are the youngest. Yeah, the, the issue is that the the chick playing Tara just looks so young compared to Anna Yeah, I'm, I'm like maybe like her, Wes, and Amber are like a year behind them, kind of. It doesn't make a difference to the movie, but I I kind of got that sense from it. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of pegged Tara as, I kind of pegged them at kind of like 16, 17 years old. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, is like Tara and Amber are like 16, and then like the other and characters To keep up like with the horror movie references, their last name is Carpenter, which yes, is an obvious, true. you know, reference to Halloween's creator, John Carpenter. And that's not the only niece and nephews are going to encounter, because these guys are all sitting around doing the usual, uh, you know, you might be the killer uh, banter. <laughs> Wes has a good, like, delete social media, like, get rid of everything, like, just, you know, go into hiding kind of shtick. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, Liz sees this creepy dude, like, kind of waving at her across the parking lot. <laughs> And this is some, like, grungy, like, looking dude. He does have a sick Jason tattoo. Did you catch that, Cordell? No, I did not, but I, I will that this guy looked way too old to be Liz's <laughs> ex. Yeah, this, this dude is the creepy, you know, 25-year-old macking on the high schoolers, right? Um, he, yeah, he has Jason's mask on his, uh, on his right bicep. I just noticed this past viewing. I was like, that's a bitchin' tattoo. Yeah, but, uh, I that, but, yeah, this guy... Are you getting to the point when they were at the bar and they say something? Yeah. Along the lines of, like, uh, Chad looks at him and says, hey, the Michael Myers shtick is old or something like that? Yeah, so so basically these guys are hanging out outside the school. Um, yeah, this guy Vince is, like, waving and being a creep to Liz. And Chad, of course, is like, you know, he's the big jock. He's like, oh, that he guy wants to fuck him off. And, uh... Basically, they uh, Wes gets the text that uh, Tara's awake. She shoots him all a text. So they're like, all right, let's go over to the hospital. But conveniently enough, Liz is like, oh, I'll catch up with you guys later. Uh-huh. Oh. So. <clears throat> Maybe she's double dipping. <laughs> you know, I, ju- I just thought about what I was saying. I was like, maybe that is a subplot going on here. She's dating Chad, but maybe she's pining for her ex. So we uh we cut up back to uh, Richie and Sam. They're driving over the Woodsboro, and we get a bunch of like exposition exposition dumping where Sam's basically like, yeah, you know, like every couple of years, some nut job puts on a ghost face mask and kills some people, and uh, they're basically like, yeah, the last time it happened was in 2011, which is Scream Four. And he, of course, is like, you know, what the Richie, Richie is like, it, it's funny because Richie does a good job of trying to portray the rational person because he's always like, well, what the hell are we doing here? You know, like, yeah, he's like clueless. Like he doesn't know. The, he doesn't know what the stab franchise is. Yeah, he's, he's new to all this. So so they roll up to the hospital um, 
And they walk into Tara's room, and we basically get Sam is like, oh, I used to babysit all of her friends. And, you know, they all say hi, and Richie's like, hi, I'm the boyfriend. And Tara and Sam hug it out, and Sam's like, I'm going to stay here at the hospital with you. You know, I mean, pretty perfunctory scene, just all these characters get introduced to each other. Yeah, but you also kind of get the sense that when Sam left... Because she's practically estranged from her sister and her family at this point. You kind of get the idea that she didn't leave on good terms with everybody. Because Amber, you know, is kind of showing her hand here. You know, kind of being a little bitchy. Oh, yeah. Towards Sam. Because Sam's all like, oh, hey, Wes. Hey, Mindy. Hey, you know, etc. And then she's like, oh, you know, hi, hi, Amber. Yeah, like, she doesn't... So, there's obviously a... These two had a, had a falling out at some point in the past. And then, this is where we're also introduced to uh, Judy, Sheriff Judy Hicks. Yeah, she uh, she pops in at the, into the hospital, and uh, her and Sam basically go out in the hallway, and Judy's basically like, you know, what the hell are you doing back in town? Because Sam's like, oh, hey, deputy. And, uh... Yeah, this you is can tell there's some get, history. You can definitely... This is where it really comes through that Sam did not leave this town on good terms. And... Well, we're gonna go... I'm gonna go ahead and spoil it right now. We're gonna find out here pretty soon that Sam is the illegitimate child of her mother. She is actually Taylor's half-sister because her, fa- her real father was... Um, Billy Loomis before he uh, hooked up with Sidney Prescott and I ha- I kind of have a feeling I'm going to go ahead and say it right now the way Sheriff Judy reacts to Sam being there and basically tells her you know get the hell out of town this town is p- uh, better with you not being here and that I have a feeling like people know her family lineage and if there is a killer that's back, they don't want the daughter of one of the original killers being in town. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, like, I, I think, and you know what? The, I'm going to go ahead and say it now because it doesn't go where I thought it was. I thought that Sam was going to get, you know, blamed for the killings and was actually going to get arrested in that. Or, like, there was, you know, I thought maybe that might do, like, a mob thing. Kind of like Halloween Kills, where a mob of the <laughs> town goes after Sam. Um, but they don't go there. They don't do that. But, yeah, because when I, before they made the reveal of Sam's parentage, I was sitting there thinking, like, wow, Judy really became a fucking bitch between this movie and the last, because it's no... Hey, I'm sorry about your sister. Hey, it's good to see you. It's, what the fuck are you doing in town? Get the hell out of here. We don't want you here. And I'm thinking, you are a cold bitch. Well, um... I've never liked the character of Judy. I'm nah, just going to say she, she wasn't very nice in Scream 4, either, because she, def- she was, like, you know, hitting on Dewey and... Like, yeah, she's and, hitting on Dewey and purposely trying to piss Gail off. I was not... I was never on her side, so... I think the character is definitely supposed to not be one you're like too fond of. She uh, 
Um, Power went to her head. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's why why I said I thought they were going to pin the murders on her. Like, I thought maybe it might be a case of, like, oh, we don't have no evidence, but we're just going to say it's you because, well, it makes sense. You're the daughter of the original killer. But they don't go there. Did you ever suspect Sam Cordell? Um, I'd never suspected Sam. So I'm going to put it right now. My suspects were... Liv and Amber. I... Okay, so when I first saw the promotional art for the movie before the movie came out and I saw that Dylan Minnette was in it, I had a slight suspicion that Wes could be the killer. Because, you know, to me, Dylan Minnette was always playing good guys. Well, maybe he wanted to be the killer in this movie. Um, that's gonna that idea is gonna get taken out real fast. <laughs> so at this point, um, where I was at too, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't. I thought there would be two killers. I thought Tara was in on it because I was like, there isn't like I was like, it's really suspicious that she survived all that attack. So I, I definitely was like, hmm. They play on that later in the film, and I did start to wonder if it was like a revenge thing against her sister. I, I I was that's who was on my short suspect list, and then I I figured it could be it could be any of these kids to be honest. But with you me. know I also suspected Chad or Mindy because I thought what great of a mind fuck would that be if the relatives of a Ghostface victim turned out to be Ghostface themselves. That would be interesting. That would have well, been one hell of a mind fuck. Well, Scream Four did that with. Uh, with Jill being yeah, I, nobody likes Jill. <laughs> oh, I, I I like I like Scream Four, but um, I'm not, I'm not saying Scream Four was bad. I just I don't really remember Jill that much. So basically, so basically, after Judy and Sam kind of have their square off, Sam is like, all right, I'm gonna. She, her and Richie are going to stay with Tara. And uh, we cut to all the kids. They're hanging out at this local dive bar, playing some pool. And we get more of the whole, like, oh, Liv, you can't be the killer. You're too boring kind of thing. There ain't no way in hell that high school kids are going to be allowed in a bar. Yeah, this scene really threw me off because they're, like, they're sitting there. Like, they got drinks. I mean, they don't want the... So basically, they're sitting, they're playing pool at this bar. They're all drinking something, and uh, that creep Vince walks out, and you know he goes over to Liz. He's like, "You want to come hang out with me, away from the kids or whatever?" And you know Chad gets all up in his face, like "Fuck <laughs> off, dude!" And uh, Vince pulls a switchblade on him. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, basically, that got them all thrown out of the bar. But, yeah, that did, that struck me, Cordell. I'm like, these high school kids are just, like, hanging out. Like, this is clearly, you know, an alcohol, like, dive bar kind of thing. But, uh, I don't know. Maybe they're giving them drinks under the table, you know? Like, I mean, they're they going to be drinking at the party later on. They don't check IDs at that bar, you know? But, uh, basically, they all get thrown out of the bar. What, Cordell? Sounds like a bar I used to go to in a town that I used to live in here. <laughs> Allegedly. No, they did. 
calling it out now. So we cut uh, we cut to Vince, and he's showing his appreciation for getting kicked out by uh, pissing on the back of the bar. <laughs> uh, someone uh, someone hops in his car, turns the lights on on him, and uh, puts the radio on. And what should be playing but the uh, the screen perennial of uh, the red right hand. And uh, you know Vince is all like, "What the fuck is that, you pretty boy?" Like. He's walking up there, gets in his, he leans in the window, turns off his car, and Ghostface pops up and just slices him real quick, shanks him in the neck. And uh, the music kicks back on, and it's really cool, because we basically have, like, Ghostface silhouetted in the car lights, watching this guy bleed out on the pavement. I thought he was going to get in the car and run the guy over. I thought this was going to be a really gruesome death. That's what I thought, too. I was like, oh, this is interesting. But, uh, no, this ghost face is going to stick to knives, basically. But um, we're going to find out in about two seconds that that dude who was in this movie for all of, you know, one minute was Stu Mocker's nephew. And uh, I don't know, Cordell. That never, like, comes up. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just a throwaway. I don't know if they're setting something up. If Vince had survived longer and maybe later on became an ally with the rest of the kids, you know, kind of like, you know, because they kind of, yeah, they make the throwaway line, oh, this was Stu Marker's nephew. Well, he's a douche like Stu was, so who cares? (laughs) Yeah, like, it just just seems like pointless, like, you know, exposition for... It, it doesn't matter that he's Stu Mocker's nephew at all, beyond, like, oh, the killer's attacking people connected, I guess. It's kind of like the whole thing they did in Scream 2, where all the victims at the college shared the kind of names that the original Westboro victims had. Yeah, it does play off of that. Now, here's a scene we have to discuss, though, because, I mean, this movie's ripping along. We cut from that back to Sam... She's in the hospital uh, taking her meds. She leaves. uh, Richie's watching the first stab on Netflix in the corner, which is kind of funny. And she goes into, you know, a side room. And uh, just off the bat, this new scream falls into the classic horror movie trope of uh, they're at this hospital and there's like two people in the entire place. And, yeah, oh, I thought you were talking about the horror movie trope of she's haunted by the demons of her past. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But, uh, yeah, so she's uh, she's taking her medicine, and who should pop up in the mirror? But uh, Skeet Ulrich. Bloody, end of movie, lo- looking pretty good, honestly. I don't know if they CGI'd him or... But yeah, yeah we get the we get the reveal that Sam is Billy Loomis's daughter. Yeah, I don't know what uh, Skeet Ulrich looks like nowadays, but he does look pretty good. He just looks he looks like he did at the end of Scream, just a little bit older. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure with like makeup and stuff, but uh, yeah, he pops up and he's basically like, yeah. I mean, we should just talk about this now. So throughout this movie, Sam has visions of her dad, Billy Loomis. But Billy is going to be like a good guy? He's basically telling Sam, look, Sam, there's a killer out there. Like, are you going to run or are you going to, like, you know, fight him? 
it's the weirdest fucking advice of overcoming your fear to fight a killer. It's advice of how to fight a killer coming from a killer. Like, to me, that's almost kind of Hannibal Lecter-ish. Yeah, this, this movie makes a really... So there is precedence, right? Because at least I take the view. In Scream 3, Sid was kind of seeing visions of, like, her dead mom. Yeah, but that was always... And and that was kind of weird in that movie, too. <laughs> you know, I don't... In movies that do this, that try to add, like, this psycho... Psycho, like psychological I'm seeing ghosts thing it never really works in these kind of movies to me and you know I think it's really like she's seeing her dad in her head because she's trying to figure out what to do oh there's a ghost face killer what am I going to do about it she doesn't know what to do so she's imagining like oh well, what would my dad tell me to do even though my dad was the fucking dude that started all of this. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It would be more interesting if Billy was, like, saying to her, like, you know, become a killer, right? Like, embrace it. But well, instead, he's well, basically, he like, fighting back. He is doing that in a way. Like, he is trying to get her to embrace... He's trying to get her to embrace a dark side. Maybe not become a ghost face killer... But he's definitely trying to get her to embrace her darker impulses. Because we're going to get a line later where he says, Oh, this killer is attacking everyone that lo- you love. You need to go hunt him down. And you need to kill him viciously and make sure that he can't hurt your loved ones. So I don't want to call Billy Loomis in this a good guy. He's just kind of... Because, you know, it's really not Billy Loomis's ghost. You know, it's not like, oh, the ghost of Billy Loomis, he knows he fucked up in his real life, so he's trying to put Sam on the right path. This is her imagining what her dad would be saying to her. Yeah, yeah, you know what, that actually helps me a lot, because when I think of it more as, like, just her, like, kind of her mental dealing of the situation by envisioning that. And, I mean, you know, it, it's cool fan service to see, like, Skeet Ulrich back as I'm he gonna, was on the screen. I'm just going to say, if if I'm wrong and the director was is actually, no, that's supposed to be Billy Loomis's ghost, I would really be against this movie because there's never been a supernatural element in Scream. No, I, I agree with you. I think your take I think your take is the correct way to view it. And to be clear, I, I don't I don't think I never thought it was his ghost. Obviously. It, it's her it's her mind making a vision. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Which is funny because then you know Matthew Lillard was in Scooby Doo, but But well, here's the thing though, Cordell, because the the stuff up for debate doesn't end there. Because Sam is gonna get a phone call. And who should be on the phone but the old ghost face killer? Using Amber's number. Oh, was it Amber's number? I could have swore it was that. Amber's number. But here, here's the thing. is She's basically like, he's basically like, oh, I got you back to town. <laughs> and she's like, you know, fuck you. Like, you want me, dick asshole? I'm right here. And he's like, okay, with pleasure. Ghostface pops up out of literally nowhere. 
and, you know, tries to attack her. They have a little fight in the room. Yeah, how the hell do these people not hear the someone talking behind them? Well, this is what I'm getting at, Cordell. She runs out of that room. That room, as far as I can tell, has, like, one door. And it leads right out to a hallway. There's a cop right there. I think there's actually two doors. I think there's one door that leads to the hallway where the cop is. And then there's, like, another door over by, like, the machines and everything. So my que- But my question to you is, do you think it's a valid interpretation that that attack was all in Sam's head? Because I do. I'm not convinced that really happened. Um, you know, that's an interesting point. That was something I thought about when I first saw the movie. But... No, but he- I actually th- no, I think the attack might have actually happened because, you know... Her, her boyfriend is out watching a movie. Cops out there just kind of standing guard. But none of the other kids are around either. Well, this is what it reminded me of. You remember in the first Scream, there's that interesting scene where Sid is in the bathroom. And in the high school bathroom, presumably in, you know, a crowded high school, and Ghostface pops out of the stall and runs at her, and the scene just kind of cuts. Well, yeah, but I think that was, she was in the bathroom, she heard those girls shit-talking her, and while she was in the stall still, I always took that to be like either Billy or Stu came into the girls' restroom in the Ghostface outfit and tried to attack her, she runs into Billy in the hallway and they get into an argument. But Ghostface is still going to be at the school to kill Principal Himbley. Oh, you know what? See, now that's a good take, Cordell. I didn't even think of that. So. Wait a second. Wrong movie called Scream. Damn you, Paramount. <laughs> well, I'm, but I mean, you know, that's just kind of my take about that, too, is like. Maybe it wasn't Billy in the ghost face outfit at the school. Because, you know, he had to be there to, like, talk to Sydney. But, yeah. as we know, it was Billy and Stu. So, obviously, it had to have been Stu in the costume that attacked Sydney. And then, when Principal Himley was by himself, he killed the principal. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, I didn't really take this as, like, a, an attack in her head. Like, this actually happened. I, but I do, I just don't think it will, I, well, for me, who the killers are yet, but I have a feeling I know who attacked her in the, uh. Well, no, here's the thing, they explain it, um, in, in, like, the next, the next couple scenes, because Deputy Hicks tells her, I was interrogating the kids at the bar, so we have to assume, well, I guess we don't have to assume, But regardless, uh, Sam is attacked by Ghostface, and it's the attack I have a lot of logistical problems with, as I just said. But somehow Ghostface pops out the door. Yeah, well, I agree with your logistical issues because it's like, oh, if Ghostface was just behind her, how the fuck do you not hear someone talking into a phone behind you? Yeah, and they're like, they're throwing chairs around, like it's literally there's a cop like 20 feet away <laughs> yeah but those yeah but those uh 
you know how those hospital rooms are, like the walls are thick, so you can't eavesdrop and stuff like that. All right, all right, we'll we'll chalk it up to that. Well, we'll go. We'll come back to this a little later when we get to the reveal of the killers. But so basically, so Sam escapes unscathed, and um, I, I feel like the, these next couple scenes, Cordell, I just got to stop and like get. We, we got to discuss this because what follows is, in my opinion, the worst scene of this whole movie. And it is entirely because I think the actress playing Sam cannot pull it off. I think the actress playing Tara does great. I see. I actually like the actress playing Sam. I think she's all right. But the scene where Sam goes to Tara and has to do this whole monologue about how she basically discovered her dad was Billy Loomis. And and, in uh, the the family apart by confronting her mom about it and spilling the secret to their dad. It reminded me of, to make the comparative, in Halloween 2018, there's that awful, awful scene where Judy Greer does that monologue about, like, what her childhood was like. Oh, God. You know what I'm talking about? I don't want to talk Judy Greer. This was just as bad for that. No offense to the actress uh, playing Sam, but just... It, it, I, I hate when movies I'm sorry, do this that. Like, is a lot better than Judy Greer to me. I think she's uh, okay, but I'm not. She's all right. You know what they're really trying to do? It seems like it seems like they're trying to make the parallels between Sam and Sydney because she confronts her mom. Uh, oh no, they're really trying to make the comparisons between Sam and uh, Billy Loomis because. If you remember, Billy Loomis's mom abandoned him with his dad when she found out that Billy's dad was sleeping with Sydney's mom. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, uh, Taylor's dad, Sam's stepfather, finds out that this girl fucked around with someone else with Billy Loomis before they got together. So Sam's not even his real child. And he just up and abandons the family and tears the family apart. So I they're really trying—they're really trying to make the comparisons between Sam and her father. And just to jump to it, Cordell, are you cool with this plot point that Sam is Billy's daughter? That off-screen in the first Scream movie, Billy was. You know, uh, I, surprisingly, I am because I'm interested to see how they do this character now. Like, is she gonna? become like a father or is she going to like is she going to reject that and she kind of well I'll go ahead and say it when we get to the end of the movie she kind of does both like she rejects it but she also embraces it I agree and you know in the theater it's funny because I was kind of like oh I, I rolled my eyes a little bit but then I had to take a moment I had to stop I'd be like I really like Scream 3 and Scream 3 does the whole, you know, you have a long-lost brother we never heard yeah. about. So I'm like, if I can accept that, then this and should I be And I love totally Roman fun. Bridger. Like, his, his whole scene when he reveals himself, I love that whole scene. Cordell, the ending fight in Scream 3 might be the best in the series. Yeah. For my money. It's fucking great. <laughs> I, I love it. That Sydney love that and him just, like, it's like, beat the shit out well, of each other. Why don't you grow up and take some... Fucking responsibility. Fuck you. Fuck you. 
No, I, I love Roman too. I think he's a great ultimate player. sibling fight. <laughs> well, basically, Sam spills the beans to Tara, and she's like, you know, I fucked up. I Billy Loomis is my dad, and I basically broke up our family because of it. And Tara is pissed. She's like, get oh, the yeah. fuck out. Like, yeah, she's like, get the fuck out of here. I don't want to talk to you right now. And you know, it's. It's not going to last very long. She's just in shock and kind of angry. She's not so much angry that she's related to Billy. She's just angry that this was kept secret from her. Yeah, I mean, I think Tara's obviously in shock and pissed off about it. And she tries to justify it by saying, well, Mom made me promise not to say nothing to you. I was trying to protect you, and that just pisses Tara off even more. Exactly. The Tara's, uh, Tara's been through a lot, and she tells her sister to fuck off. So Sam and Richie, um, basically, they decide, yeah, they, they decide to go figure out how are we going to get this asshole. Well, let's go to an expert who yes. fights these assholes. And so they go visit David Arquette, where I imagine David Arquette is actually, uh, you know, this is what he does. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they go visit Dewey, and Dewey's looking rough. He, you know, he's uh, he's living in a rundown house. I really feel bad for this character. Like he always, every movie we meet him in, like in Scream One, he was kind of used by Gale. In Scream Two, you know, him and Gale kind of patch things up a little bit. But then we get to Scream Three, and she left him to go pursue fame. Then they're back together and scream four, but they're like their marriage is on the rocks and everything. And then this one, oh well, the marriage didn't work out, and she went to pursue fame. It's all that is on Gail's mind. You would think all these close calls with Dewey, she would be like, I really just want to settle down and be with the man I love. Nope, fame. Well, I think that's what we saw in Scream Four is they did try to settle down, and she just couldn't take it. You know. Yeah, I, th- I think they try to say, you know, Gale, you know, Dewey can't do the city. He's a Woodsboro hometown boy, and Gale just loses a shit in small towns. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot of, I got to say, this movie is full of little in-jokes and references, um, just as an aside. Like, like just as when Sam and Richie go into Woodsboro, right, they run past Elm Street right away. Mm-hmm. Um, like that kind of thing, which is awesome. Does Dewey ever figure out? Like, is Dewey ever told of Sam's connection to uh, Billy Loomis? Does do you think he knows, or is yeah, he the so, only one in the dark the whole? Who's in the dark the whole time? No, so so we get a uh, so they say we're gonna go see an expert. We cut to Dewey stumbling out of his bedroom. You know, his place is a mess. <laughs> Booze everywhere. We do see uh, we do see Tatum's ashes on the TV. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we do see Tatum's ashes, which is kind of a fun little reference. Yeah, uh, kind of nice to see Tatum get a, a fucking mention after being completely ignored in Scream Three and Four. Or two, two, three, and four. Like, well, um, no, and yeah, Tatum, he's he's sitting Tatum down. Didn't get a mention, like when they were doing the whole putting the names together thing. Oh, yeah, she did. But they don't, it's not really kind of, let's just say Randy got more of an emotional moment from Sydney in 
Scream 3 than Tatum ever did throughout the rest of the franchise. Mm. That's Ain't that the truth? Yeah, Dewey, so Dewey stumbles out. He's watching Gail. She's running, you know, some, like, Good Morning America type thing. Yeah, it's like the... It's like the great value version of Good Morning America. And obviously Dewey's still, like, head over heels. And just off the bat, I mean, David Arquette, like, it, it, it's just such a joy to see him, and, and we'll get to it later, Sydney and Gail. But, like, the OG characters, like, they're just the same as they always have been, and it's, 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 it's think, such fun. Do you think Kevin Williamson takes pleasure in, t- because I do know that David Arquette and Courtney Cox were married at one point, in real life, before they divorce, do you think the people that make the screen movies take pleasure in torturing David Arquette by always making him have to pine for his ex? <laughs> well, it's sweet, right? Because I know they basically met it's on the, the set of the- Scream. You know, they recording in Scream 2 and uh, Scream 3. If you watch that movie, it's mostly a Dewey and Gale movie, right? Like, I, yeah, I know they... It, but Sydney doesn't really show up until, like, the half hour mark it's not the only movie but we'll get there (laughs) um yeah no i mean it it is it does feel bad and we'll get to it um it it you know that these they were happily married for at least a decade you know but like like all hollywood marriages it didn't work out yeah i mean look what happened between angelina jolie and brad pitt everyone thought they were the perfect couple and that's last it's fame, man. I'll tell you. This is why if I become famous in Hollywood, I'm not marrying a famous bitch. I don't know if they get any other options, to be honest with you. I'm, I will try my damnest. <laughs> but, uh, so Sam and Richie, they roll up and knock on the door. And they're, of course, you know, like, can we talk to you, Dewey? And he's like, I don't do interviews. And that's when Sam tells him, she's like, I'm Billy Loomis's daughter. Oh, okay. And he, that's what gets him to open the door. And he's like, all right, I'll give you two minutes. Yeah, this is kind of like the you got 15 minutes Jamie Lee Curtis scene in Halloween. Yes. With the podcasters. And also, uh, just because, you know, our reviews are just full of asides and tangents. Here's the thing, Cordell. Going up to Scream 5, uh, five I don't know if you remember this, but what everyone was saying, or at least the rumors I heard, right, was they're going to play it as a straight slasher film, right? Like, this is not going to be comedy, like... And I was kind of worried. Um, but guess what, folks? Like we've alluded to, this is Scream 5, right? There's comedy, there's... It, it's literally... It's the same It's the same as the rest of them. You see, you know? I've never really viewed the original... See, i never viewed the original Scream as comedy. I've always known Scream to be the franchise that self-references... Like, self-references itself to the horror that is popular or the horror that is nostalgic. But I've never really seen, like, comedy... Like, it's not Jason Lives or House. No. It's more... It's There's humor in it, but it's incidental humor. It's black humor. It's not really... 
Um, I mean, I, I, it's, it, it, it's not like a yuck, yuck joke kind of movie, but I, I think there's a lot of clever humor. It's, it's not, okay, I know we both love this movie, but I'm just using it as, a, as an example. It is not Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, no. which, is, which is a fun movie, but it's a slasher that is straight up yuck, yuck. Yeah, it's not like that for sure. But the reason I bring that up is um, basically Dewey sits him down and he's like, look, you got to deal with the rules. So we get our uh, we get our rules scene. And here are the three rules, Cordell. You remember them? I do not. Uh, right. I, I found it really kind of funny that they were trying to take Dewey and... He tries to do the Jamie Kennedy role, which his niece is going to do in a few scenes later, too. Yeah, and that's what I found interesting in this movie when I rewatched it today. Because I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Mindy does the rules, but she doesn't. Dewey does. Now, she gets a good monologue. I, I think it was kind of like, you know, maybe... You know, maybe Dewey was like he remembered his cafe meeting with Randy and Scream 2 <laughs> and... Scream 3, and he's like, oh, well, like, you know, what would Randy say the rules are? It just, has to, it just has to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So here they are, Cordell. I'm going to run them down for you. So Dewey says, rule one, never trust the love interest. Yeah, and fucking Richie <laughs> takes, like, huge offense to that. Yeah, he's like, do I got to listen to Discount Sam Elliott here? <laughs> rule number two, the motive is linked to the past, which is true. Kind of the same in Scream, like what Randy said in Scream 3. The past is not dead. And then rule number three, the killer is in the friend group. Which, you know, I mean, Dewey's pretty pretty broad there. But yeah, in general, his, his three rules are pretty, uh, they make sense. Yeah, I mean, technically, if you go back and you look at all the previous films, the killer was always in the friend group. So basically, they're like, all right, Dewey, come help us, you know, like, help us deal with this shit. And he's like, nah. Yeah, right, because wasn't Mickey, you know, uh, in Scream 2, wasn't he part of the friend group with Sydney and... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can't, sometimes I can't remember because Mickey, you know, they try to portray uh, Jamie Kennedy as kind of loony, like, so movie-obsessed, but then I remember that Mickey is also pretty out there. Oh, I love Mickey. I, I love his ending scene when he goes, like, nuts. That shit's great. This <laughs> um, would be the kind of boyfriend you'd love if you'd take home to mom. I, yeah, I know. I, mom. Boyfriend Fuck you. Like, Timmy Fiola fan. I always was like, I wish he'd play a psycho in something else, because I think he's great in that movie. <laughs> um, that scene. So that, but then we get uh, Dewey. Dewey basically has a moment where he's like, "All right, I got to man up and face this shit." So, but first he uh, he gives Sydney a call. Yeah, he and, well, he takes him out because they ask too many questions. Yeah, he's basically like, "Your time's up. Like, fuck off." <laughs> but then, but then Dewey gets like a moment to reflect, and uh, he calls Sydney up, and we cut to Sydney pushing a stroller. And this is where I knew I was going to, like, I, I, all my fears were allayed, Cordell. Because going into this movie, I was like, all right, they're going to acknowledge Scream 1 happened, and maybe Scream 4, but, you know, I'm sure they're not even going to mention Scream 3. But turns out, uh, Sydney, you know, Nev Campbell's back, 
And she's like the Dewey. She has kids now. She's pushing a stroller. She's like, yeah, she hooked up with the detective. Yeah, him. she's like, you know, um, Mark's out at work or whatever. And Mark is uh, Patrick Dempsey from Scream Three. So it's all canon, folks. Yeah. So fuck you, Scream Three haters. Yeah, it's it's a good movie. God damn it. But uh, that's a cool little nod. And Dewey, of course, is like, you know, there's some idiot in a ghost face mask. Do you have a gun? And she's like, of course I have a gun. I'm Sidney fucking Prescott. Yeah, my friend Shorty was kind of like, he was kind of more interested. Because when they show Sidney walking, they show her walking with these, uh, like, yoga pants on and that. <laughs> and she's like, she's like just too stuck on her ass. He's like... She's the kind, She's just the right age for me to be into. And I'm like, oh my god, dude. <laughs> oh my god, dude. Tell you, tell your friend to, you know, move up in the world. <clears throat> I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that Nev Campbell is still not attractive. I mean, uh, Nev looks good for her age. I, I got to. She looks good, and I want to say Courtney Cox looks good, but I think I would rather have been with Courtney Cox back in like the Scream Three, Scream Two days. Everyone looks the best in Scream 2. That's that's my opinion. Oh, maybe even back during her stint on Friends. Yeah, friend, Friends is pretty good. I, I, I think Courtney Cox, she's not terrible looking. Um, She's just, uh, she's had a lot of work done. <laughs> yeah, she, I'm not trying not to be rude, like, or not to be mean, but she's got, like, a scarecrow quality to her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Courtney Cox definitely looks a little... uh, Like, to me, Courtney Cox just looks kind of gaunt. Yes, that's a perfect word for it. She's not... She's... She's... Yeah, she's very gaunt. She's she's pretty, but she's not Nev Campbell level. No, Nev Nev is looking good. But um, she's She's looking so good, she's not in this movie very much. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so Nev, Dewey's basically like to Sydney, don't come back here. And she's like, I'm never going back to that fucking town. Right. And, uh, this is hilarious, Cordell, when Dewey and, and dude, um, David Arquette is like, I, I, how can you not feel for Dewey? He sends Gail a text. He's like, Ghostface is back. Don't come here. And then he just like sighs and he sends the, how have you been with the smiley face? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I shouldn't have included the smiley. I love Dewey. I've, if there are like, I love the core group of Scream, even back when, you know, Randy was around. But I think Dewey has got to be one of my favorites. Which hey, is why I, I, I love Dewey too. Which is why you know I like the scary movie parodies, but I hated the first scary movie where they made the parody of Dewey be such a clueless doofus you don't like deputy doofy yeah he's just like yeah i know he i know dewey was naive in the first scream and kind of childish but he was still he was just a well-meaning you know police officer he was because he had never dealt with shit like this before no and that's what dewey makes dewey all not Dewey is cool because like he's the kind he, he thinks he's a badass but he's since and he's not he's way out class but he's sincere about it you know like he's, he's just a, an honest he, good country boy yeah he's a good cop he's a good man 
So and do I think we? That, I think no, that's why Gail even puts up with them after all this time. No, I mean, I, I like I think all their scenes are really sweet in the earlier earlier movies, you know, before they got divorced in real life. Like I, I think their their scenes together in like two and three and stuff is really is really sweet. <clears throat> but after Dewey texts Gale, he then opens up the box and you see the revolver and the sheriff's badge, and he's basically like, "All right, it's time to you know arm up and step up to the plate." I'm surprised we never get a moment between him and uh, Judy. Oh, yeah, you know, that's interesting. We don't, do we? Like, you never get Judy being like, Dewey, what are you doing? Don't do this to yourself. Yeah, I I wonder if there's some, like, drama or something. Because you're right, we don't ever get a scene of that. Well, well, you kind of get the sense that after Gail left, Dewey was kind of forced to resign because he kind of fell into alcoholism. Yeah, you definitely... Gail left, and he basically fell apart. And it wasn't like... It wasn't like Judy got rid of Dewey for, you know, her own gain. It was just like, okay, Dewey, you're in no position... You're in no... uh, You're just not healthy enough right now to lead the police force, so you are being asked to resign, and, you know, your protege will take your place. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I do wish they would have at least had some type of a scene together. Well, there's not really time for it, as as we'll find out. So we, we cut to um, Sam and Richie have kind of gathered up um, Tara's friend group at Mindy and Chad's house. And we do get a fun, really fun little cameo of uh, their mom, who is Heather Matarazzo, who played Randy's sister in Scream 3. And uh, Dewey shows up because, and they even play the. Did you shoot myself? What? You remember that line in Scream Three when Courtney looks at Sid when they meet Martha, and she's like, "Tell me that's his ex, and I'll shoot myself." <laughs> no, I don't. But now I do. <laughs> um, did you catch when Dewey shows up? They even play the like cowboy music or whatever <laughs> from uh, Scream Two, I think. Dewey. That was cool. But, uh, yeah, we get Randy's sister, and that that's a fun little cameo. And, we get uh, this nice, like, mantelpiece. Yeah, the, the Randy Meeks home theater. Yeah, this, they got, like, a nice big painting of him up there. That, like, they really <laughs> memorialized him. Yeah, there's uh, there's Blu-rays everywhere. What I, what I like that I thought was hilarious is they have a stab box set, and it's done up exactly how, like, Scream Factory <laughs> does uh does their Blu-ray box sets? Um, I I thought that was pretty funny. I'm not gonna lie. I really wish like there was extra money floating around, and they actually made like full stab movies that <laughs> they could then market with the screen movies. Cause I would watch that shit. Dude, uh, CGI all those actors back to be young, right? And actually have it like be like David Schwimmer and Luke Wilson. <laughs> there, whoever. Is he dead or something? I have no idea. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. That would be fun. Um, so this is where we get all the requel talk, because all these characters basically sit down and are like, all right, what's going on here? The killer's basically attacking people connected to the original, um, you know, the original stab. Not stab, the original killings. Uh, Sam reveals she's Billy Loomis's daughter. 
And this is where Mindy pops up, and she basically gives this monologue about how they're stuck in a requel. And uh, there's there's some pretty... They were like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, and honestly, her speech is pretty on the nose, because she's like, you know, just doing a straight remake doesn't work. Like, the Child's Play remake, that sucks, which it does. Sorry. Well, she, she actually does. She even goes outside of horror. She mentions the Last Jedi. Yeah. I love the. I love 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 the little. Cause you know how Rian Johnson made the Last Jedi and the fans hated it. Mm-hmm. They make the little side gag that Rian Johnson is the one that made Stab Eight and the fans hate it. Oh, see, I thought that joke went a little far. I'm like, that's pretty on the nose, isn't it, guys? Like, I'm sorry, I love that joke. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but... Well, this this is the one time, though, because throughout this movie, right, they use the name Wes, you know, as, like, a lot of respectful stuff to Wes Craven, you know. But they got in this line, Cordell, that made me kind of crack up when they're talking about this, because Wes basically says something like, oh, well, what about, you know, the killer in Stab 2 or 3? And Mindy says, quote, unquote, Elo, um, no one cares about the shitty inferior sequels, Wes. <laughs> and I have to wonder, I'm like, is that a little dig where they're like, we don't really, maybe the filmmakers don't like, like, Scream 4 or something, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know. But that cracked me up. Well, you know, I know fans have griped about Scream 3 and Scream 4, but Scream 2 was a solid sequel. I mean, and a lot of people, you know, buy the fact that it was Billy Loomis's mother that came back for revenge. But Billy's mother. Yeah, I just don't. That line kind of pissed me off because, you know, a lot of sequels in a franchise are sometimes touted as better than the original. I know a lot of people say that A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors is even better than the first one. Um, uh, I would put them about equal. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I know people Cordell who to say Scream Two is better than Scream One. I've never, I've never said that. I, I've literally heard people say that. I, I think disagree. it's hard, but I wouldn't say it's better. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just thought that was a fun little line. I mean, I'm, I, I don't, I'm sure it doesn't mean anything, but um. Mindy even calls out, like, you know, the new Halloween movie is a requel. And, uh, basically, this kind of devolves into that they're all like, well, you could be the killer, right? They're like, well, Dewey could be the killer, or Liz could be the killer. They all just start pointing fingers, pretty much. Don't Mindy's they, Don't they, like, point the fizz at Liv just to kind of piss her off? Because Liv is a very, like, she is very, like, I don't want to say emotional, but she gets set off pretty easily. Yeah, and she's like, fuck you. And Mindy's like, the killer's gotta be Sam. She's like, it makes the most sense that you're the killer. And they're all basically doing the typical scream, like, well, you might be the killer. Ha, ha, ha. Kind of shenanigans. They mentioned Sam. They're like, oh, it's obvious that Sam has to be the killer. You know, Wes tries to stick up for her, and they kind of shut him down. And Sam gets pissed off, and she leaves. Exactly. So Sam gets in her car and just starts driving. Um, and once again, we get uh, Skeet Ulrich popping up in the backseat mirror. And he's like, why are you hiding? I mean, he basically says the same thing throughout this movie. He's like, why are you hiding from who you really are? You know, you should be out there hunting the killer. 
And uh, Sam basically is like... an accident. Yeah, she, she has to slam on the brakes. She almost gets into an accident. Um, and she's basically, like, really shook. <clears throat> but, so basically, Wes gets back home. And uh, I found this funny. His mom's, like, chugging a glass of wine. <laughs> um, De- uh, Sheriff Judy Hicks. And uh, she's basically, like... You know, like, I'm going out to get sushi for dinner. You go get a shower. So, uh, Wes goes upstairs, gets a, you know, like you said, we do get an interesting, like, shirtless scene, like, not exploitive, but I don't know that Scream has really had that before, now that I think about it. Yeah, you never really had, like, tits or anything in a Scream movie. You don't get that kind of nudity, which is unique for the slasher genre, but you don't really get that in the Scream franchise. So I did this watching, and I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting. Um, I do want to point out here, so we're about to get into a very shocking part of the film, because this is actually going to be a double kill um, death that we're going to get. But I do like how they kind of play up the psycho aspect of the shower with... Um, they do a lot of shots in the shower with uh, Wes that are reminiscent of Psycho. And yeah, I, really I, I thought, noticed that. I really thought we were going to get Wes getting killed a la Psycho style, but we didn't get that. So basically, yeah, so Judy's out driving and she gets a phone call from Ghostface. And, you know, he's basically like, oh, I'm going to turn myself in. We can talk about my motive um, yeah, and why I, I like feel... What's your favorite scary movie? I've always kind of been more into dramas. Yeah, I do like Marley Shelton, um, who was also in, like, Grindhouse, I think is what I know her best from. But uh, she she does this, like, kind of funny, like, voice inflection. Like, the ghost face killer is like, what's your favorite scary movie? And she's like, I've always preferred musicals and animated films. <laughs> and I just, like, how she does that is pretty is pretty funny to me. But uh, he's basically like, oh, I want to turn myself in so I can talk about the two people I've killed. She's like, you've only killed one person. He's like, yeah, it's going to be two after I slice and dice your boy up. And uh, he's like, you ever heard of the movie Psycho? And yeah, it cuts right to the Hitchcock shot of like the shower. So uh, Judy like flips on the sirens, does a U-turn. She's speeding back home. She's like, all the cops come to my house. And we keep cutting back to uh Wes in the shower but we don't see the killer but the camera kind is moving to make you think the killer's like you know walking up to the shower but she's like telling the killer like you know I'll do anything like don't kill my son and he's like ah you know that's not good enough well she rolls up to her house busts open the door sprints up to the front door and Ghostface pops out from behind you know like a, a column on the porch Stabs her right in the stomach. This is smart. This is smart on Ghostface's part because, you know, we've never really seen adult figures in law enforcement. Well, I mean, I guess there were a couple FBI agents that got killed in Scream 2. But... Fuck Bruce Willis in Scream 4. They don't really... They don't really put, like, a lot of, like, cops and everything in the show. Like, so... For Ghostface to take to go and take out the head of law enforcement, 
it's kind of smart on his part because he's getting a big threat out of the way. But it's also dumb because now he's going to have every fucking cop in town coming out for his ass. Yeah, but nothing really comes from it. I think it would have been cool if they played up that. Yeah. The cops are pretty much a a non-entity. Like, there's one there's one uh, deputy played by someone who kind of looked familiar. Um, Yeah, and I think even he's going to get killed later. Oh, does he? Is he that guy? That's sad. I don't know. I I don't know if it was him or if it was just a random cop. I honestly couldn't tell you. But uh, Ghostface gets Judy down, and, you know, he's, like, straddling her. And, man, he stabs her, like, 50 freaking times. This is a very stabby Ghostface. (laughs) Yeah, this this Ghostface has got some... What 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 does the FBI BAU call it? Like, not a crime of passion, but like a crime of rage. Yeah, I mean, we get this awesome shot, like long shot, or like it just showcases him on top of her in front of the house, and he's just stabbing and yeah, stabbing. Yeah, he is in Ghostface is in berserker mode. <laughs> well, anyway, we cut back to Wes, who gets out of the shower. And then what follows is they basically do this. I wasn't a big fan of this, Cordell. No, they put, they I wasn't. No, I thought they, did, they do this for too long. Like, if they had done it a couple times, fine. Yes. But they, they just they do, kept doing it. They do the it. old joke where, like, he opens the door, right? And you're like, oh, is Ghostface behind it? Then so he walks down. Yeah, then he walks downstairs, right? And uh, he, he, does does it, like, he does it, like, four times, like, yeah. <laughs> like, he does it with, like, the fridge that. twice or something. Like, they just keep playing the same beat, right? Where, like, he walks into a room, like, opens up something. You think Ghostface is there. He's not. Um, We do get a Lemon Squares callback on the fridge. Did you notice this, Cordell? Throughout their kitchen, right? They got all this, like, healthy eating shit, right? I was not paying attention to their kitchen, quite frankly. I was, like, I was just waiting for this whole... Oh, the killer's there. No, he's not. I was just waiting for this scene to be done. Oh, here's the thing. And just because I watched this, like, you know, a couple hours, like, a couple hours ago. All across their kitchen is all this, like, eating healthy stuff. When he opens that fridge, there's, like, four cartons of ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) That just cracked me up. I was like, you got all this, you know, they're getting, like, sushi, which I think is pretty healthy for you or whatever. Like... But, like, yeah, he opens the fridge. There's four cartons of Ben and Jerry's. I just I was like, what the hell? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I don't know. I just found that amusing. But, basically, he uh, he walks back out into the front room and, uh, and notices the door is open. So he closes it and locks it. But Ghostface pops up right behind him. And this is brutal. Ghostface- I'm going to be honest. I was not expecting this kill. See, you, when you get to this part, you think, oh, it's obvious, Wes is going to get it, right? Mm-hmm. But then they then they kind of fuck with you and be like, oh no, his mom gets it. So I actually was expecting Dylan to survive this attack. Really? I thought that Wes was going to... I thought the twist was, no, his mom gets it and Wes finds her body. Yeah, that could have been it. And then, you know, it's like, oh, did Wes kill his own mom? Or is Wes in on it? Or 
is Wes going to be, you know, one of the final characters? With Because it's quite clear at this point that Wes has a crush on Sam still. Yeah, well, Tara, no, they, they call it out. They say Wes has a crush on Tara. Oh, I thought Wes had a crush on Sam. And to be honest, this was kind of silly. Like, I liked Wes. I, I, I don't know the actor from anything, but I you thought he was what? a fun character. I know two girls that are twin sisters and they are both hot and i had a crush on both of them so i could you know what <laughs> i sympathize with wes if you're but, listening give cordell a call ladies but you know <laughs> it's what i'm saying is like i honestly thought wes was going to survive this and you know i'm go ahead and finish this up up until wes is killed and then i'll mention like his the visuals and why I thought West might survive. Well, the visuals are cool because Ghostface. What they do a lot in this movie too is Ghostface will like go to stab someone and they'll like block it, and we get that tension of like, can they hold off the knife? And uh, Ghostface tries to stab West, and you know he grabs the knife. We also get a lot of people saying like, "Fuck you, the Ghostface," which I think might be like a new thing, but. Ghostface just real slowly, like, sticks it through the side of Wes's neck until it, like, pops out the other side. Like, it's like, but, I, I guess it cuts the, the carotid I, or something. But. See, and that's why I was thinking maybe Wes would survive even if he got, like, because, you know, there have been people that have survived neck wounds before. Well, you we're going to talk. No, go ahead. There have been people that have gotten stabbed in the neck and survived. And I thought maybe... Ghostface stabs. I thought maybe Ghostface would, you know, sticks the knife in Wes because you don't know if it cuts his carotid, if it just kind of goes through the skin. I thought, oh, well, maybe Wes survives this attack. You know, he's kind of fucked up right now, but maybe he'll survive. And well, this movie definitely plays it fast and loose with who can survive what. I mean, we'll get into it with another one yeah, later. Yeah, they definitely play it fast, fast and loose, but I just thought it was kind of... I, I, and I still kind of had... Because I thought maybe, okay, maybe Wes will survive. Because, you know, Ghostface can't spend too much time here because Judy called the cops. Yeah, exactly. And I, mean, I thought maybe Wes might get yeah. lucky, but... When once we see two body bags and they say I'm sorry, Sam West, then it's like, oh wow, they actually killed Dylan Manette. I'm shocked. Yeah, so West gets it, um, and Sam rolls up. Sam rolls up to the cops' house, and you know the deputy's basically like, yeah, I'm sorry, they're both dead. And Dude, uh, shows up. Dewey shows up. Well, Dewey's on the scene, and this is where I, I was kind of like, oh, Dewey's going to have to step up and be the new sheriff, you know, like, regain his role, you know? I was kind of hoping for that. But uh, Gail also rolls up, and uh, she goes to Sam first, and um, basically Sam says who she is, and Gail's like, I'm so sorry. But then we get, uh, honestly, like, a sad, sweet kind of scene. Gail and Dewey reunite. And, uh, Instantly bitching. <laughs> yeah, they they basically the, you can tell these two actors have some personal issues because they they re, you really feel the like venom because they're like oh you left me don't you think I know what I did but like at the same time you can tell they still care about each other and uh, 
Dewey and Gale basically reveal that, like, Gale went to New York to do the show, and Dewey came with her, but he couldn't hack it, so he basically left in the middle of the night. And, uh, I mean, it's just sad, given the actor's personal history, you know? I know, he kind of says, he says what she wanted him to say, and she's like, well, why couldn't you have said that then? And you always gotta wonder how much of that is, like, how much of that is coming from the heart, you know? But, uh, yeah, so Dewey and Gale, and I gotta admit, though, it is nice to see the original characters together again. Like, it's good to see Dewey and Gale bicker. But, uh, yeah, so Sam realizes, though, if all the cops are here, who's keeping watch over Tara? And so the light bulb kind of goes off, and she's like, oh, shit. So she hops in the car. She's like, I gotta go get, you know, go to where Tara's at. And Dewey hops in the car with her. Well, we cut back to Tara, and she's <laughs> she's watching Dawson's Creek, I think it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, which obviously is a fun little joke because, uh, you know, Kevin Williamson wrote that. Um, but Tara basically hears some strange noises. And I, I was listening closely. You actually hear someone go like, what are you doing outside her door, Cordell? So she uh, she basically is like, fuck this, takes out all her IVs and stuff, hops in her wheelchair. And you, this is where you tell she's still fucked up. She is not in any position to be walking. Dude, her, her like hand is like bleeding, just like operating the wheelchair. Like, uh, yeah, Tara's not in good shape. Well, she rolls out into the hallway... And the cop who was out there is fucking dead. And uh, his gun's gone, because she goes to reach for his gun, and it's an empty holster. So Tara's pretty smart, though, because she rolls into, like, this empty room, like, cracks the door. And she, I love it. She grabs something to defend herself when the door opens, and she fucking just knocks witchy on his head <laughs> yeah so she hears someone coming and she grabs like a i don't know what she grabs some piece of medical equipment and whacks richie extinguisher yeah i think you're right she whacks richie in the head of a fire extinguisher he's like you know sam called me so this whole time sam's been trying to call tara she's like speeding through traffic not giving a fuck and Tara's not answering because she's hiding from the killer well, she Dewey whacks. Non life. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Dewey's like, we gotta live if we're gonna save her. But uh, yeah, Tara, Tara whacks Richie, and just as we get that ha ha moment, that oh, why the hell did you whack me? Ghostface pops up right behind Richie, turns around. <laughs> yeah, well, he stabs Richie in the arm. And then Ghostface grabs Richie and fucking whacks his head off something. I think he smacks his head against the door. And uh, Richie's down for the count. And just real quick, Cordell, this is where I became convinced it wasn't Richie. And let me explain my reasoning. In Scream 2, what happened to Sidney's boyfriend? He got slashed in the arm. And they even call it out in Scream 2, right? They're like, oh, you conveniently got slashed in the arm. You must be the killer. But he wasn't the killer. It wasn't the boyfriend. In Scream 4, uh, Jill gets slashed the exact same spot, right? And, uh, you know, turns out Jill is the killer. 
So when Richie gets slashed in the arm, I was like, aha. The first time, it wasn't the killer. Second time, it was the killer. So in this movie, he's got to be a red herring. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see where you're going with that. So that that was my line of thinking. Um, well, but I, I, mean, I still was like Tarzan on it, though. <laughs> well, I had a, maybe a faint suspicion that the killer was Wes, but the previous scene, you know, knocked that theory out of the park. So... But, uh, yeah, so Ghostface, and I mean, this is kind of amusing, Tara, Tara actually, Ghostface gets fucked up yet again, somehow by this chick in the wheelchair. <laughs> she, like, uh, she, I think she whacks him with the fire hose, and he, like, knocks into a fucking, like, heart monitor or something. Honest to God, in this, this movie especially, Cordell, Ghostface, whoever he is, should have bruises all over their face, because Ghostface mm-hmm. gets fucked up. <laughs> That's kind of a convenient of all these screen movies, though, is, like, whoever is Ghostface, they don't, they take a beating, but they never have the bruises that go with it. Yeah, it's like, it's like in Scream 1, right? Like, I think it's Stu. Like, literally gets a beer bottle smashed over his face in the mask, right? And has, like, he doesn't have a scratch on him. It's like, what the well, I don't think, uh, you know, you know, he's wearing a rubber mask. I don't think it would have left a scratch, but you th- you'd think it would leave a mark. Yeah, it'd, it'd leave a bruise, but... But uh, basically, we get this really cool scene where Tara's trying to, like, wheel down the hallway, and Ghostface is just slowly, like, stalking up behind her. And uh, he has her phone, and Sam's calling, and we get this really cool scene I don't think we've seen before of him. Ghostface activates the voice changer inside his mask, which I thought was a cool little detail. Yeah, he presses, like, a button on the side of his head. And you see, like, a little dot. Yeah, a red light goes on. And he basically tells Sam, it's Sam, he's like, look, Sam, you get to choose who I'm gonna kill here. And he fucking upends the wheelchair. So Tara's just crawling along, fucking bloody. And this scene, dude, this might be my favorite scene in the whole movie. Because she's crawling, like, the camera's, like, in front of her. And we just see Ghostface, like, just slowly, playfully, like, stalking up. And he's like to Sam, I'm either going to kill your boyfriend or your sister. So who's it going to be? And, I mean, just, it's an awesome, like, tense, like, just brutal. Like, you really feel for Tara. But, you know, the whole time Sam's like, you know, please don't kill them, blah, like, you know, don't do it. And Ghostface is like, what, you can't even pick someone? And he gets over Tara with the knife. Well, Sam's like, turns out I'm just stalling for time because the elevator opens and, uh, you know, Dewey opens fire. So Sam grabs Tara, Dewey runs over, grabs Richie. Well, Ghostface pops up and dude... My heart was in my throat in the theater at this scene because we get this awesome scene where Dewey and Ghostface just go at it one-on-one. And, uh, like, Ghostface has Dewey down with the knife, and Dewey says, not today, and Dewey fucks Ghostface up. Like, Dewey gets his moment of kick-assery. He fucking slams Ghostface around, throws him into a fucking bookshelf, and he pumps three rounds into Ghostface. Sends Ghostface right into, like, a giant glass uh, wall thing on the hospital. 
Dude, I don't know about you, Cordell. I wanted to, like, fist bump and cheer in the theater. Because, like, Dewey, I was like, yeah, you go, Dewey. But, oh, man. They all get to the elevator safely. They push the button. But Dewey's like, wait, I got to shoot him in the head. Oh, and this is where you know this is. And we know. The second he says it, we know. We know exactly where and, this is. Uh, and you know what, though? I'll tell you, Cordell, because they swell the music. Like, it's it's practically slow-mo. Dewey reloads his gun. He's walking down the hallway, and you just know it, right? You're like, oh, fuck. What, he, what Dewey should have done was stand several feet away. You know, because so, Dewey's got good aim. He should have stood several feet away, because then it would have taken Ghostface time to get to him in order to stab him. But, uh, yeah, so Dewey Dewey has the gun. He points it right at Ghostface's head, and boom, his phone goes off. And just as Dewey looks down, Ghostface pops up, shoves a knife into Dewey's stomach. Oh, but it gets even worse. (sighs) And then Ghostface pulls out another knife, shoves and stabs Dewey in the back, back. And, and then I, he drags him up. And, like, we see the fucking blood spatter, and that's where we get the, the line from the trailer where Ghostface is basically like, it's an honor. Uh, and that's it, Cordell. One of our main three finally bites it. Yeah, I was really... Because, you know, the joke is, oh, Dewey always gets stabbed, but he comes back. And, you know, I I had a small slimmer of hope that this was just a really fucked, like, this is where Dewey is going to be like, okay, none of this shit. But, no, this is, you are right, this is where Dewey Riley, Dewey Riley, after four movies finally falls to the blade of Ghostface. And I'll tell you what, with this movie, when it when I was in the movie and this scene happened, I sat there and my heart was in my chest. Like, my heart was, like, in my lap. I was, like, I wasn't crying. But, like, I was upset, dude. Like, you know, Dewey was one of my favorite characters. Like, this was as upsetting when Randy bites it. No, I, I was sad, too. Like, uh... And... You know, I was sad for Sydney. I was sad for Gale. I was sad for Dewey. I, I mean, it's just—it is kind of like not not to go Scooby Doo, but it's like you do have your three characters every movie, and like that—that that kind is the comfort in Scream, is you know that our main three are are gonna make it, you know. Well, and I think you know. Dewey has been through so much heartbreak. You just want him to live out his life and be happy or something. And, well, Dewey's going to finally, you know, Dewey, this is the end for Dewey. I mean, here's the thing, Paramount. He gets we, to go- we only see one body bag. There's also the dead cop. So, you know, like, you, you can rock it back, people. Yeah, but the way <laughs> they play this with Gale and everything makes you really believe that Dewey bought it. Yeah, no, I, I feel you, man. I was, I got and a little emotional in the theater. I can't lie. Uh, I, I, even I want, to the end of the movie, man, I was hoping. I was like, Dewey will pop up, but no yeah, such luck. Was, I mean, you it's know, sad. you know what's even worse now? Someone's got to go to his house, clean his house out, take uh, 
his sister's ashes. <laughs> who gets Tatum now? Who gets Tatum? And you know what? Is Dewey gonna get cremated? Is he gonna get set on a shelf next to Tatum now? Damn, Cordell, you're going you're going deep now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sad, dude. Like, it is sad. Uh, you know, there's a lot. You know, I just want to say there's a lot of speculation on if Michael or Loya are gonna bite it in the last Halloween movie that's coming up. And you know, we've seen Loy Strode die in the past, but it was a throwaway kill basically in Halloween Resurrection. If they kill Loy in Halloween Ends, it's gonna be emotional. Uh, well, this is. I'm not gonna lie to you, Cordell. In the new movie, and I'm rooting for Michael, man. I'm I'm on team Michael, you know. Like, I understand, but you know, it, it's emotional as a fan because you know, like where these characters have, what these characters have been through. I walked into Halloween Kills. This is a separate exchange, but I was like, I hope this movie ends with Michael Myers slitting Laurie Strode's throat. You know what I mean? Like, oh jeez, well. <laughs> Not that I hate the character, but I kind of was like... I, I thought that was where they had to go with it, you know. But that was I don't know. I was happy Judy Greer bought it in Halloween Kills, but I don't know. We'll see this October. But back to this movie. Yeah, so unfortunately... Dewey, Dewey is dead. Um, we get... I got, this movie looks good, we gotta say. Like, the shot of Ghostface, like, standing over Dewey, holding both that of his knives. Like a, that sounds like a fucking song title if Ghostface were to, like, quit killing and make a rock album. Dewey is dead. <laughs> and we get, the, we get the slow-mo, like, Gail shows up as they're wheeling out the body bag, and she, you know, she's crying. And, um... Then, basically, Gail talks to Sam and Richie. They're in the hospital. And uh, Sydney rolls up. And her and Gail... Sydney's like, you know, I came as soon as I heard. Um, and, you know, they're basically... Uh, Tara and Sam are in the hospital room. And they make up, basically. Like, Tara's like, you know, like, you know, we gotta stick together. She's also like, you know, I'm really high right now. <laughs> So, um, basically, Sam and Richie are like, all right, fuck all this shit. Like, we're done with this. We're you know, getting I the hate, fuck can out. I just say something? I hate this. We never really see Sydney's reaction to her friend's deaths. We never, no, we don't. We never got to see her reaction to when she was first told about Randy. We don't get to see her reaction when she hears about Dewey. We don't even, we get like a little bit when she sees Tatum, but we don't, never gets mentioned again. Yeah, I, I don't like, that's one of the things I, I, that I, that's difficult with Sydney Prescott is you, you get like these moments after where she's thinking about him and she's upset, but you never get to see the in the moment reaction. No, and I mean, the one thing I'll have about this movie is I really, really wish we could have at least gotten, like, one scene of the three original people all together, like, you know, investigating or doing something. Yeah, they kind of pulled a Star Wars moment. Yes. With that, you know, because everyone was kind of hoping to get Luke, Han, and Leia back together one last time, and that's not what happened. Cordell, how do you make a movie and not get those three back together? How do you fuck that up? I don't know. Ask the people that wrote the damn thing. Both for Scream and Star Wars. Um, 
so basically, in the hospital room, uh, Sam and Tara and Richie are well, Sam and Richie are basically like, "Fuck this shit, we're getting we're the fuck out of town." Like, fuck fuck this town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they walk out, and uh, Sydney walks over, and you know, she's like, "Look, I know what you've been through. I know who you are." And I found this kind of amusing, actually. Sam is basically like. Look, lady, like, we're getting the fuck out of here. Like, that's your life. It's not our life. Like, fuck off, basically. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's so weird because this is the daughter of Billy Loomis, and this is the woman that dated Billy Loomis, whose mother was murdered by Billy Loomis, and who basically tricked her into taking her virginity before he tried to kill her. Fuck you. No, no, no. We already played that game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they don't really, yeah, they don't really touch on that, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so basically, this, ah, dude, I can't, ah, I just gotta take an aside and say a major criticism I have of this movie is, I think the OG, Dewey, the, Dewey gets a good amount to do, but Sydney and Gale, especially Gale, they, they tried, really get the shaft in this movie, dude. Yeah, I think they try to give them something to do here towards the end. Because, you know, we're in the last half hour of this movie at this point. And, I mean, well, I think I'll touch more on this when we talk about, like, our overall thoughts of the movie. But, yeah, we're in, like, the last 40-ish minutes. Um, and Sydney has just showed up, you know what I mean? And same with Gail. Gail's had, like, one scene before. But, uh, basically, so Sam and Richie get in the car and drive off, and I like this, though, uh, Sydney's like, I put a tracker on their car, and Gail's like, you what? And Sydney's like, it's what Gail Weathers would have done. <laughs> I, I like that. It, it's really nice to see how these two characters come al- have come in terms of, you know, they started out as antagonistic towards each other because Gail wrote a scathing book about basically calling her mom a slut and Sydney was kind of resentful of that well then Sydney had to accept that oh my mom was a slut and they've been through so much together and now that they both lost someone that they really care about it's really nice to see these two come together as far as they have no I I agree 100% I mean, uh, just when we get the OG people together, I mean, it's it's awesome, right? Like, they slip right back into, into the characters. Um, it's just a shame there's not more for them to do in this movie. But, to be fair, though, what we do get is pretty good. Um, because, so Sam, Richie, and Tara, they're driving. And Tara, this was set up earlier, she's an asthmatic. And she starts having an asthma attack. And, you know, they're like... I'm right. Yeah, I know. Very convenient. But they're basically like, oh, can we get to a pharmacy? She's like, you need a prescription. They're like, can you wait till we get out of town? She's like, no. She's like, well, I have a spare uh, inhaler. It's over at... Oh, man. I'm, I'm doing so good. It's over at Amber's house. So they're like... Richie, of course, is like, fuck no. Let's get the hell out of here. But, uh... They're like, all right, we'll end up going to Amber's house. And uh, turns it, so we cut over to Amber's house, and she's throwing a party in Memorial of Wes. And we do get a really, I mean, I found this to be kind of sweet. We get an awesome scene where everyone basically holds up a drink and is like, you know, for Wes. 
obviously, you know, in tribute to the man from which this franchise is all possible. Yep, Wes Craven is obviously <sighs> the whole inspiration behind Dylan Minnette's character. Rest in peace. But basically, all our teens are uh, partying out. Partying down, there's drinking. Um, Mindy's got the original Stab movie on, which is kind of fun. Cause we you know, all, before but, we continue, I gotta say, you know, I don't disrespect Wes Craven at all. The man left an enduring legacy in the horror genre with Nightmare on Elm Street, with Scream. You know, he, he made The Last House on the left. He made... Didn't he make One of the Hills Have Eyes? Uh, the first... Yeah, the original and the sequel. You know, and then he had... You know, he had some other movies that were not really big successes, but have found a cult following. You know, Shocker, Serpent in the Rainbow, Deadly Friend. People Under the Stairs. And, you know, it's... I, I don't know. It's like to me, I've always kind of viewed Wes Craven as like, yes, he's a he's brought so much to the horror genre, but I've always not liked how resentful he was in some cases. Like you know, when he made Wes Craven's New Nightmare, he was basically lambasting the films of Freddy for the fans of Freddy for making Freddy the icon that he was, and it was like, well, fuck you, dude. Oh, I, I've never... I mean, I haven't seen that movie in forever. I've never taken I, it that way. I, I think Wes Craven is... No, good. I was not a fan of that movie. And like I said, I don't hate Wes Craven. He, If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't talk about Freddy. We wouldn't have, you know, a movie to talk about Ghostface. But... Uh. I, I, what I'll say on that is I think Wes, I think Wes Craven is unfairly maligned, right? Like, I, I think so many people are like, oh, he did shit, like, Shocker and Cursed and, you know, well, a bunch of... That's the funny thing is movies like Cursed and Shocker, you know, have cult followings. And if your movie has a cult following, then I view that as a success because it found an audience that loves it. Here's the deal. No Wes Craven. We don't have fucking Freddy Krueger. We don't have Scream, right? Like The only movie that he ever really made that I could not sit through because I could not stop laughing at how bad the movie was. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it was Deadly Friend. I've never seen it. I, I, I have heard it's really terrible. <laughs> to it, be basically, this genius kid builds a robot... And his crush dies, so he takes the robot parts, puts it in her, and brings her back to life. And it's then his crush basically going around killing people, going, BB! <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. I was yeah, like, I, is that? I don't know when I'll ever get around to that. That could be fun, though. I'm not ever reviewing it on this show, so if you watch it, you know, you can tell me your thoughts, but we are not having a discussion. It but here's... No good. It, it does have a really cool kill in it, though. There is apparently like a kill where a woman gets hit in the face with a basketball and her head explodes. That sounds, that sounds fun. fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, people, Wes Craven gave us the Scream series, and I mean, it's I don't know. Fuck you, Wes Craven haters. That's now, all. I I'm not a hater. Like I said, it's just. I'm not really sure where I put him on my list of horror movie 
you know, directors. That'd but, be a fun show. You know, yeah, maybe in the future we can, like, rank our favorite horror movies or directors or something like that. But, yeah, you know, rest in peace, Wes. You did leave us an incredible legacy with these movies. All right, what were we talking about? Scream? Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, all the teens are at this party. You know, Chad's doing shots and toasting Wes. And we and get... And mad. <laughs> yeah, that that's the laugh out loud scene in the moment. He, so... he really refuses to have sex with her or kiss her or anything because, oh, you might be the killer. And no, no, I... well, dude, they're they're making out on the couch, right? Like they're they're getting hot and heavy, and she's like, "Should we go you down? Want... Should we go upstairs?" <laughs> and Chad, like Chad's face, like totally blanks out. He's like, "Look, I really want to do that, but I'm like, you know." You he's might gonna, be, <laughs> and dude. He is going to regret it with what happens to live. <laughs> Every I remember the whole theater like cracked up laughing. It is freaking hilarious because he's like, "Look, I'm like ninety percent sure you're not the killer, but." <laughs> This was so awesome. She is so pissed off and leaves. And she, she and fucking storms out. You know, he's like, look, that's a valid response. And she goes, yeah. fuck you. And he's like, that's a valid response, too. And I love how his sister, how Mindy, just kind of gives him a thumbs up. Like, hell yeah, bro, you know what's up. <laughs> yeah. So so we get a bunch of, like, teenage shenanigans, right? Like, uh, Mindy and Amber are in the kitchen. And uh, Amber's I need to get some more beer. So she goes down in the basement, and we're thinking she's going to get it just like Tatum did. And uh, they pulled the jump scare where she opens the fridge and closes it, and Mindy's there. And Mindy and Amber have this whole, like, kind of fun back and forth where Mindy's like, you shouldn't go down into the dark basement alone or someone could follow you. And Amber's like, well, how do you know I'm not the killer? And, you know, Mindy's like, ah, you're learning. And they're like, let's go upstairs. But Amber's like, you go first to Mindy. And, you know, they do that kind of, like, fun banter. <clears throat> we get the, cl- you know, it's like the classic scream, like, teen shit, you know, where everyone's like, well, you're the killer. <laughs> um, we, we did get this line. Um, so we cut back to Sydney and Gail, who are throwing who are uh, following Richie and Sam. I found this pretty amusing, Cordell, especially in light of recent news, because Gail's like, oh, this is all my fault. I shouldn't have wrote that book in the first place. And Sydney's like, it's not your fault, you know. Like, these people are psycho. And Sydney says, quote, no more books, no more movies, no more ghost face. And all I could think was, oh, Scream 6 is now filming, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they've already they've already announced it. They've even already announced that Courtney Cox is signed on to come back as Gail. So it's like, yeah, that worked out just fine. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the future. But uh, back to uh, back to Chad. He's a. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of funny. He's like texting his girlfriend in the corner. He's like, you know, are you mad at me? <laughs> And she's not responding. Well, earlier in the film, he kind of, he basically was like, hey, there's a killer around. We should do that thing where, like, we can track each other's phones so we know where each other are, you know? 
Well, Liv, Liv's phone texts him, and it's a, you know, oh, you want me to forgive you? Come find me. And it's a link to the phone tracker. And this is the other, like, use of technology in this movie. So he gets to go up, and his sister Mindy's like, well, if you're going out, at least take a weapon. So he grabs this, like, heavy, like, candlestick-type-looking thing. <laughs> so Chad walks out the front door of the house, and if it's not obvious, they play it as this, like, reveal later, Cordell, but, I mean, it was pretty obvious. They're in Stu's house, right? They're in the original. I honestly didn't realize it until they said something. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, like, I, to- I totally knew. But, uh, so Chad walks outside, he's following the app, he's, you know, he's in the bushes, and, uh, he's at where, like, the app should be, but there's no sign of Liz. So he's like, you know, what the fuck? He turns around, and, uh, Ghostface pops up and stabs him in the leg. So Chad takes off running, he's stumbling around, he gets around the side of his, um... Well, actually, first of all, he whacks Ghostface in the face with that, like, iron candlestick, and that would leave a bruise, sir. I don't know how, like, all these people are, you know, spot-free later, but... Ghostface continues to get fucked up. Well, Chad runs around the shed, and he realizes, uh, he looks on his phone, and Liv's phone is still tracking him, and it's coming towards him. So he does the smart thing, and he chucks his phone. And he realizes, hey, you know, I'm maybe like 30 yards away from the driveway, and there's like cars there and stuff. Well, Chad tries to make a break for it, but Ghostface pops out of the shed, runs him down, stabs him, gets him down, and once again, stabs the fuck out of Chad. Like, you know, just like he did to Judy, Tara, like... He's got a lot of anger. He does. Chad, Chad is down for the count. Oh, man. Well, we cut back to inside the house. And, uh... Basically, uh... Mandy, Mindy is, uh... making out with some chick she was into on the couch. And Liv walks in. And Liv and, uh... Liv and Mindy kind of have that same kind of, like, play uh amber and mindy did where Liv's basically like do i scare you right do you do you know what happens to the movie nerd in these movies and she does the like you know finger across the throat thing and yeah your uh your girl's looking pretty psychotic cordell i'm not gonna lie in that scene yeah i did suspect Liv for a minute i did think that maybe Liv was <laughs> uh, but, but it's the same shit like amber and mindy were doing earlier so i didn't yeah, really we- like but, you know, I'm really glad they don't do the whole, oh, it's got to be the goth girl. Like, because, you know, that's stereotypical. That would be the red herring, I think. And I'm going to bring that up because have you ever watched the screen TV series on MTV? Uh, just the first season. Okay, so you saw the first season. Okay, I don't know if it was season two or season three, but they had, like, a really hot goth chick. And, spoiler alert, at the end... The goth chick was one of the killers. And I was like, oh, that is so stereotypical. (laughs) Did you see that one coming? Yeah, it was so, like, I figured because she was the movie nerd, she was basically the hot goth chick, but she was also kind of like the horror movie aficionado. She was the Randy. Mm -hmm. And they made her one of the killers, and I'm like, that is so, 
that that is so stereotypical. I don't like that. Yeah, well, I think they did pretty good in this movie by not uh, not sticking to that. Yeah, I'm really glad they didn't. But um, should be said at this point, you know, Richie, Sam, and Tara get there, and they kind of kick everybody out. Yeah, this is interesting. So they roll up to the party. They run in, and uh, Amber's like to Tara, like, oh, okay, I'll go grab your, your uh, asthma inhaler. I like how everyone cheers when Tara walks in. They're like, hell yeah, she's here. She's here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, she's ready to party. But, uh, yeah, Amber, Amber's basically like, all right, guys, like, you know, this chick's been traumatized. Like, get the fuck out. And uh, this is pretty funny because Richie starts, like, flicking the light. And he's like, all right, Gen Z, like, go away. <laughs> and, uh... Basically, so we get we get it, and this is where like the uh, the chick Mindy was making out with leaves, and Mindy's like, ah, damn it. And um, we've kind of whittled it down now to like our core group of characters, right? Because Mindy's like, fuck you, I'm not leaving. She's chilling on the couch. Chad stabbed outside, you know. Amber and uh, Amber and Tara are running for her asthma inhaler. Actually, I like this. Actually, uh, Mindy starts like. She's high. She starts watching. She's what she starts put. She puts on the original stab. Yeah, and uh, earlier Chad's like, "You're watching the movie where our uncle gets stabbed," and she's like, "It, it comforts me." That is so fucked. Uh, we, we get a the movement I really like is when Richie walks up. He opens the fridge. He's like, "You got any beer around here?" And Mindy's like, "There's some in the uh, there's some in the basement." And he's like, "I'll be right back." And they both go like, "Ah!" <laughs> and she turns around. Yep, he's gonna die. Yeah, that's pretty funny. So uh, basically, shit hits the fan pretty quick though because. Uh, Mindy's laying on the couch watching the scene with Randy on the couch where he's like, you know, Jamie, look behind you, Jamie. Um, I love this. It's like a scene in a scene. In a scene. <laughs> well, unbe- so unbeknown, yeah, so unbeknownst to Mindy, Ghostface Pop is walking up right behind her. And they pull this like perfectly, I think, because the whole time she's like, look behind you, look behind you. And then at the moment on the TV when Ghostface has, like, got the knife above Randy, Mindy has, like, a, like a meta realization. She's like, wait a second. <laughs> and she turns around. <laughs> and she's like, oh, shit. Um, but Ghostface shanks her in the shoulder. Well, Sam runs in because she hears the commotion and uh, whacks Ghostface off of Mindy. And Ghostface basically, like, runs out of the room. So Sam's like, Mindy's gotten stabbed in like the shoulder or collarbone, basically. And uh, everyone just basically pours into the room. Like Richie walks in with a beer and he's like, what the hell? I was getting beer. Like uh, Amber and Tara limp in and Liv pops up and she's got blood all over her hands. And she's like, oh, I just saw, I just found Chad. Like, what the fuck? And Amber's like, what the hell? You're the killer. And this is an intense scene, because they're all basically like, who's the killer? Like, one of us has to be it. Uh, yeah, this, this review is kind of weak, though, because they really, because, you know, they really try to paint Liv as the killer, and then Taylor just is like, you know what, fuck this. 
pulls out a gun and just caps live right in the fucking head. Yeah, out of nowhere, Amber pulls out a revolver and just fucking blows Liv's brains out. Yeah. She's welcome to Act 3. That is, like, the weakest fucking reveal I've ever seen because it's not in... It's really not in Ghostface's M.O. No matter who the killer is as Ghostface, it's not in their M.O. to use a gun. Ah, Timothy Elephant did, I think, in Scream 2. Uh... He had a knife. I know. Yeah, at the end, he shoots. He shoots Sid's boyfriend, who's tied up. Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah, it just feels like you know it's a slasher movie. They should just stick to knives. Yeah, no, it definitely does kind of come out of nowhere. I remember in the theater, I even like it took me a second. I was like, wait, what just happened? Yeah, it's almost like you know, what if Jason Voorhees just all of a sudden just picked up a fucking M16 and started mowing down campers. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Amber is one of our killers. She blows Liz away, and everyone just fucking scatters, um, pretty much. So um, Richie and Sam they run down into the basement. Now Sam's got a knife. She took, uh, I think she took off of Mindy or something. But Aww. she's basically like, hold on a sec. There's always two killers. So she pulls the knife on her boyfriend Richie, and Richie's like, hold up. I'm on Team Luke. Your sister Tara, somehow she survived all this. And she led us here. And, uh, you know, I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, that guy's right. You know, and I was going to say, when he said that, I did all of a sudden be like, oh, my God, could Taylor really be in on this? Because Taylor and Amber are friends. Dude, the whole time, I was like, you can't tell me Tara survived that. But, uh, uh... Basically, um, Gail and Sydney roll up. And Sydney opens her trunk. She's got guns. She, her and Gail arm up, and they're basically like, "All right, let's go in this." I like that. Are you ready for this? Like, I'm never ready for this. <laughs> now, talk about a freaking blue ball in the Cordell, because both our women are armed up. They're badass. They walk up, and Amber stumbles out, like she, pretending yeah. she's. Like, hurt. She's like, ah, you know, help me. The killer stabbed me. Sydney's like to Gail. She's like, you buying this? Gail's like, nah, it's a trap. And Amber's like, fuck it. And she just shoots Gail right in the stomach. Yeah. Or in the side. This is how I feel like millennials and the Gen Z would be. Like, they're trying, like, this is overacting. They're trying to sell, like, oh, I'm not the killer. Help me. Help me. It's. The overacting and the dramatic of the performance, it, it's like, it's like no, Amber, he's like, they're not going to buy that. I'm just going to say it. I'm not a big fan of Amber. Probably my least favorite killer. I was not a fan of her either. I know I know this character, this actress was in another movie. Uh, we'll get there. Yeah, she was in another movie. You know, yeah, when, when we do, when we talk about her death. We'll get there, but for, she plays crazy really well. She really does, but ugh. she does. But she definitely. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of the character. Um, she was kind of like Matthew Lillard's character in the original, but she ups it, and I think that's what kind of makes it annoying. On a rewatch, as an aside, you know which person? Chad. R- Chad gets all the good lines in this movie. I think that guy's hilarious. 
So, yep, she shoots uh, Gale so she, in the gut. She hits Gale. It's like in the side. So we we know Gale's not actually dead. You know how movies do that. It's like in the side of the stomach. But Gale's basically like the Sydney. So Amber runs back inside. And Gale goes to Sydney, you know, go in and finish it. So Sydney walks into the house, and Sydney's giving no fucks. She's like, whoever the hell you are, you have five seconds to get the fuck out here. I'm going to start shooting. And I love this, because Sydney just basically walks around this house, gun out, and every time she sees a closed door, she just shoots. <laughs> just puts a round through it. I love that. And uh, so she goes up the stairs, and the phone rings, and we get, you know, we finally get the ghost face talking to Sydney. And I like this, because he's basically like, you know, hello, Sydney. We get all the classic stuff, and she's like, you know, you're the most pathetic one yet. He's like, well, I got you here, didn't I? And I found this was cool. She's basically like, you're boring, and hangs up. But before she hangs up, he's like, wait, wait, no. <laughs> but, uh... And meanwhile, it should be said, Sam's been wandering around, too, and she discovers Tara tied up in the closet. She's downstairs. But, uh, so Sydney walks upstairs. She's just shooting through every single door frame. And she walks up to this one closet, puts a bullet through it, and turns out she just capped Richie in the leg. <laughs> oh, I love it. That was funny, because he's like, how, oh, what the fuck? And, uh... <laughs> should be mentioned that we did have a scene earlier when he was on the phone with Sam and he was watching like the newest stab movies and watching like fan reviews of it and he's like man they are right this movie sucks and we get like the I the scene with the chrome mask leather face with the flamethrower yeah I guess stab 8 had chrome chrome ghost face with a flamethrower and, and I it was called Chrome Face. <laughs> Did you catch, though, Cordell, while we're talking about that, if you freeze frame it, on the side of that YouTube video, there is a thing that says, Interview with Survivor Kirby. So it is screen canon that Kirby lived. Kirby. Um, uh, Hayden Panettiere in Scream 4. Okay, that's why I don't uh, remember... Ah, she's like the only good character in Scream 4. But, uh... Yeah, that was pretty funny, the ghost face of the flamethrower. But basically, yeah, Sydney shoots, uh... Shoots Richie in the leg. But... Just as she does that, Ghostface pops up behind Sydney, And they basically fight it out. And Sydney throws them both over the banister. So both her and Ghostface are kind of like knocked out on the floor... And uh, Richie's, you know, she's like, Richie, get the gun, because the gun's on the floor. And Richie's, like, stumbling down. He's like, I'd be quicker if you didn't shoot me in the fucking leg. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. I fucking love that so much. But uh, I just love that Sydney gives no fucks by now, you know? She's just, like, guns blazing. Um, well, Sam runs in. She grabs the gun. And, uh, you know, you think all is well for all five seconds before Richie stumbles down is like, oh, good job, Sam, and fucking rams a knife in the Sam side. So, turns out, Richie and Amber are our killers. Yep, they are. 
So let's so, take a second here, Cordell. What do you think of the reveal? And the who done it overall? Well, I feel like the reveal with Richie is a lot better than with Amber because, like I said, I thought it was lame how Amber just pulls out a gun and caps live. Yeah, I agree with you. I did not see the Richie thing coming, you know? I mean, I guess it should be obvious, but well, no, I was yeah. shocked. You already stated you thought he wasn't the killer because of the whole arm gash. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, we find out that Amber and Richie met online through, like, 4chan or some shit like <laughs> that. They're, like, a bunch of horror movie nerds. Richie's been faking it. He knows about the star movies. He loves the star movies. And he hates, like Amber, how silly they got, how out of touch they got. And they want to basically make a new film, a new chapter that gets back to the concept of the original. And I will let you go ahead and basically plot out what their whole plan was here. Ah. <sighs> Man, I'm not gonna lie, Cordell. I am. I'm. I'm not. I'm a little disappointed with how this all ends. Maybe. Maybe we can get into it. But basically, guys, we get the exact ending of the original scream for all intents and purposes, right? So, uh, Richie and Amber they drag in uh, Sydney, Gail, and Sam into the kitchen. They got them at gunpoint and knife point. And they basically are like, look, the Stab movies suck, and it's up to us, the true fans, to, uh, you know, restore it to glory by making a requel. Um, and look, guys, this is Scream 5. Like, it's pretty much the same thing as, like, most of the other people were doing. <laughs> I mean, it pretty much is what Stu and Billy were trying to do in the 90s, right? But let's face it, they... So this movie, you know, last time we talked about how the talked about how the new Texas Chainsaw tackled, you know, political hot topics. This movie is tackling the. I'm gonna go ahead and say, you know, a lot of people have names for it. You know, people who do this, they call themselves the true fans, and then the rest of us who think it's a bunch of bullshit call it gatekeeping. Yes. And I hate 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 gatekeeping i hate people who sit there and call themselves true fans i'm gonna go ahead and say this i i grew up on the star wars prequels i love the prequels but i there's been a lot of times where a true star wars fan has sat there and says oh you like jar jar binks you're not a real fan i don't care if you like the originals you're not a real fan why i said so because you can't like star wars if you like jar jar and it's like, oh my fucking god. Well, I mean, shit, Cordell. Just look at Halloween Kills, right? Halloween Kills? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it happens with everything. Um, I mean, Every franchise that I'm a fan of, I have seen this shit. Whether it's Halloween, Friday the 13th, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Ninja Turtles, Transformers, G.I. Joe... There was always some assholes out there who gatekeep and try to say who's a fan and who's not a fan. And it is complete horseshit. And so right at this point when Taylor and, or not Taylor, when Amber and Richie declare themselves true fans, I'm like, okay, I can't wait for these two to fucking die. <laughs> 
No, and I mean, I think, honestly, I think that is the environment we live in, because especially over the past, like, five years or so, you've seen so many franchises, I mean, just looking at horror movies especially, right? The the pendulum has swung away from the remakes, more so into these kind of reboots and sequels, and there's always a contingent of people who are like, oh, you like the new Halloween, you know, you're not a Think about it, you know... When these, okay, Halloween 3, Jason X, Jason 5, you know, Friday the 13th Part 5, Jason Takes Manhattan, these for, for the longest time were considered the worst of those franchises. And when people sat there and said, oh, well, I actually like those movies, I'm a fan of those movies, you had this whole gatekeeping of a bunch of fans saying, no, those movies suck, you're wrong. Now... You know, yeah, some of those movies that I mentioned do have cult followings now. And Yeah, exactly. You know, it's... I think gatekeeping has really gotten to a point where... Back then, it was okay. It was, like, popular to hate something. But I think, you know, with the newer generation being like, Oh, I like what I like. You've really seen this uptick in gatekeepers. Trying to establish some sort of dominance. Because these people realize they're losing their control over people by basically influencing people on what they can and can't like. So they resort to gatekeeping. No, I mean, I agree completely. I think as basically time goes on with our favorite franchises, and like you're saying, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because those movies that once were hated, like the Halloween 3s or Jason X's, definitely have gotten a cult following. But by the same token, when new things are added to the franchise, people, you know, there's always that contingent of people who... Well, like, you wanna... said, like you said, with Halloween Kills or the Star Wars sequels... The sequel trilogy, you no. know, some of those people, some of those, there are some people who like all those movies, and then there are some who try to sit there and say, oh, if you like The Last Jedi, well, you're stupid. No, I mean, and, like, I've always taken the tact of, it, it's it's just stupid, like, how, how can you tell someone else what they should enjoy, right? Like, a perfect example of if someone enjoys the sequel trilogy, I'm not going to put you down. Like, that's fine. Like, that's great. Like, I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy people are able to get enjoyment out of that, right? Just yeah. because, like, I don't enjoy it doesn't mean I should have to shit on anyone else, right? Like, it's just, I don't understand this whole toxic, uh, this whole, uh, I mean, I'll even like using the word toxic, to be honest with you. But it's just, it's ridiculous, right? And I think this movie does a really good job of highlighting how fucking stupid this whole true fan, like, phenomenon is. Some people just cannot enjoy seeing other people happy and not having a sense of control. There are just some people who just can't accept the fact that, who just don't like seeing people like something that they don't like. And you're right, it's stupid. But, I mean, that's just the way it is. Not really sure what to tell these people. They're just going to have to fucking move on about it. But, anyhow, back to Scream, you know, I think before we get too much off on a tangent here. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, so, 
Richie and Amber's whole shtick is they're the true fans, and the Stab series has gone to shit. And, yeah, they've met on Reddit and 4chan, and they're basically like, if we do our own requel, then it'll be good source material, right, for a new Stab film. And I think somewhere in there they're like, we're going to frame Sam as the killer. Yep. That's kind of the whole point. Yeah, because the whole point is it makes perfect sense because Sam is the illegitimate daughter of the original Stab killer. Uh, Billy Loomis. So they're like, they basically, and so basically the plan is they're gonna frame Sam. They're gonna be like, oh, Sam went nuts. She's this, she's the daughter of an infamous killer, and she basically took her revenge on Sidney Prescott, who killed her father. So it's basically, you know. It's not too different from what, you know, uh, like Jill was doing in the last movie. Yeah, but that wasn't Jill the killer because she was jealous of the fame that Sydney got? Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie to you, Cordell. I'm, uh, even the motive. Like, I, I, I just got to say it. I think this ending scene is a little weak. It's not, the, it's not the best. I'll give it that. But I appreciate how... The screenwriters and the director are trying to make a statement on, hey, you true fans and gatekeepers, fuck off. No, I mean, I do like the message. But basically, they have they have Sydney and Gail and Sam in the kitchen. <clears throat> and uh, basically, Sydney tries to make a break for a knife or a gun, and she gets stabbed in the stomach. So all of our, you know, all our protagonists are pretty... Uh, Fucked up. Pretty fucked up by now. But basically, um, this, really, this is where Amber is really annoying me because she is like totally loony at this point. She's looking at Richie. She's calling him babe. Yeah, they all they put in that really weird detail, you know, like yeah, Richie is what like late twenties, and they specifically call out, "Oh yeah, him and Amber are uh, sleeping together." I'm just not a fan of, like, Amber at this point. She's too... I liked Matthew Lillard because he was just the right amount of crazy. But, you know, it's Matthew Lillard. <laughs> he's, he's a walking cartoon. This chick... She's trying to be, you know, Matthew Lillard, but she's upping it by ten, and it's annoying. Yeah, she definitely. I I agree with you. I think when she goes totally, there's a, there's two scenes up here coming up that I really really was not a fan of. Um, she is really no. What I like is well we'll get to it, but like when she tries to suddenly play innocent in the blame game, it's like oh you are definitely a fucking millennial. Oh, I hate that. Those are the two scenes I'm talking about. And they do it twice. They don't just do it one time. It's awful. But basically, Richie and Amber realize, um, you know, like, Tara is on the loose. They're basically like, what the hell happened to Tara? So they basically spread out to try and uh, find out where she went. And it's kind of funny, because Richie's basically like, oh, what the hell is Tara going to do? You know, she's a cripple with with, uh, some crutches. Well, Amber's walking through the living room looking for her, and Tara, Tara takes her crutch, and she beats the shit out of Amber. 
Oh, I bet I can imagine Taylor's even more pissed off now because this has got to be like the ultimate betrayal. So, uh, so Tara Tara beats up Amber. Um, in the meantime, uh, Sam basically breaks free and she runs upstairs. So Richie goes after her. Well, Amber gets the upper hand over Tara. She knocks her out. Um, and she goes back into the kitchen. Well, Sydney and Gail basically get into a fight with Amber. Like, Sydney takes a bottle of vodka and smashes it over her head. No, it wasn't vodka. It was like, uh, it was, um, like... Oh, hand sanitizer. Yeah, because she's like, yeah, it burns. Well, that was confusing because it looked like it was a glass bottle. Like, it, she has glass on her face. But yeah, they, she does specifically say hand sanitizer. So that kind of threw me. That's funny. It was like, I've never seen hand sanitizer come in a glass bottle, but that's hilarious. But they basically smash her over the head, and she, you know, that's when they pull the hole. She's in the corner trying to be like, oh, no, no, I was radicalized online. Like, you know, I'm just an innocent kid. And, like, and I agree with you. Like, just how this actress plays it, I don't know if it's supposed to be funny. Like, are we supposed to be laughing at it? But it's just, it just comes off as, like, annoying, which maybe is the point. I'm going to go ahead and spill the beans. This actress was in a movie a couple years ago called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. A Quentin Tarantino film. Love it. And she played crazy in that movie because in that movie, I'm not sure which one she played, but she played one of the infamous Manson girls. Because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is kind of like a, like the story of Hollywood, but also, like, the Manson murders and Sharon Tate, but with a twist. Yeah, and, it goes, like, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the revisionist history. Instead of Sharon Tate getting murdered, the whole fucking plot ends up getting, you know, stopped. And the actress who plays Amber, Mickey Madison, she was one of the Manson girls in that movie. And she's gonna, she dies in that movie kind of the same way she's gonna die in here. Yeah, it really, uh, it really threw me for a loop. So her whole act of like, oh, you know, I'm just a radicalized millennial, it turns out to be a bunch of bullshit. So she pops up. Her and, uh, Sydney and Gail are basically fighting it out. You know what's scary is I actually know a girl who looks similar to this actress who I used to go to the ball with. And I. And that's like, oh my, and now every time I think of this character, I think of my friend, and it's like, I hope she's not that fucking crazy. <laughs> but uh, we get basically a pun for a death, because she gets on top of Gale and is uh, shanking her. But, oh, uh... Let's not forget, she also starts to throw it in Gale's face, because, you know... Yeah, she's I, just being, no, she's like, Dewey died like a pussy, like... Yeah, like, let's face it, this Amber is the one that gutted Dewey. Yeah, and I'm going to lay some controversy to the rest real quick about that, Cordell. Because a lot of people online are like, how could Amber have picked, you know, lifted Dewey up or whatever with the knives? You watch the scene, folks. She does not pick him up. She just stabs him. She stabs him and then drags the knife up his to his body. She doesn't like, pick him up. I, I saw a good meme where people, it's like pe- what people thought they saw was in the new Texas Chainsaw, you know, where Leatherface, like, yeah. picks Sally up. But, like, 
And I remember, like, no, I mean, come on, people. It is completely plausible Amber could have done that. But it's kind of hilarious now that when you think about it, because we talked about how Dewey was fucking ghost-faced up in that scene, he was basically beating the shit out of a teenage girl. Oh, that, that's what makes sense. And th- that actually makes sense for this movie. Ghostface is not like, you know, like Matthew Lillard and uh, Skeet Ulrich, really, you know, they, they were kind of in shape. But these two killers are not, uh, they're not very, you know, muscular. But, uh, yeah, so basically Sydney Sydney shoots uh, Amber a bunch of times, and basically, very coincidentally, she, like, hits the gas on the stove just as she falls over. And so for the second movie in a row, uh, this actress, uh, Mikey Madison, gets to run around with her head on fire. Well, I mean, can't say the bitch ain't hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh my gosh, it's it's so funny because she just lights up. It it is so hilarious the way she just catches on fire. And we we get the obligatory line where she's like, you know, time to pass the torch, and Sydney gets to go, "How's that torch?" You know, but don't. Uh, well, meanwhile, Richie is stalking Sam. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Richie's stalking Sam up the stairs, and this actor, too, is kind of a little annoying, but he's kind of channeling his inner Timothy Elephant, because he's like, you know what's good about slashers is all the blood. Yeah, I think when Richie is revealed as the killer, I think, you know, when he's playing naive, like the naive, nice boyfriend, he does a good job, but when he becomes, like, the crazy, oh, I'm actually the killer, he kind of gets annoying. Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately, yeah, we're not dealing with Stuart Billy here, guys, you know, that's 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 a ding against this movie. I think you what, he's a great match for Amber, and now he really can't bitch about ha- not having a hot girlfriend. <laughs> but, um, Sam gets, Sam gets a hold of him on top of the stairs, and once again, throws themselves down the stairs. Um, and basically, he grabs the gun... She's reaching for the knife, and uh, we get for the third and final time, uh, Skeet Ulrich is Billy Loomis in the mirror on the wall, and he's like, you know, it's time for you to do what you were meant to do. He doesn't say anything, he just kind of slowly nods his head like, you know what to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, she gets a hold of the knife just as Richie gets on top of her, and he's got the gun under her chin, you know, and he's like, I'm gonna finish the movie or whatever. Well, she stabs him right through the fucking cheek. So it comes out his other cheek through the mouth. And she rolls him over, gets on top of him, and just like Ghostface, stabs the fuck out of Richie. I, I, I love this. He, 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 he suddenly becomes a little bitch in this scene, because he's like, <laughs> what about my ending? <laughs> She's like, here it comes, and just slits his fucking throat open. Well, do you notice how she does, like, the ghost face thing where she takes her hand and cleans the blade? Yes. So she stabs him just like we've seen Ghostface stab. Shanks, um, you know, slits his throat open and then does the classic Ghostface knife. Um, oh, knife that, blade. Is a, that is a brutal knife. That is a brutal throat slash. Oh, it is, because she Are does it sh- kind of slow. Yeah, like, when you slash someone's throat in a movie fast... It's violent, but it's like, oh, well, you know, you kind of get that's how most people do it in real life. 
But when you do it, like, slow the way she does, that kind of shows, like, a level of, like, you know, you're kind of afraid that Sam might actually lose her mind at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm curious about that for future movie implications. But, um, yeah, from there on out, we basically, uh, Sam gets the gun and she shoots Richie a bunch of other times, shoots him in the head, because Sydney and Gail walk up and are like, they always come back. And, uh, you know, even Amber pops back out with her head half burned off, and Sam shoots her in the head, too. <laughs> And uh, we basically get the ending from the first well, actually, you Actually, no. Uh, Taylor is the one that gets the kill shot on Amber. Oh, you're right. Excellent point, Cordell. Tara's picked up a gun on the side, and she gets the headshot in on Amber. Good call. I, go. I, gotta, I gotta say, though, like, when Amber pops back up for one last jump scare, she kind of does, like, the whole, you know, Mickey... Uh, Basically, what happened at like what they they do it in every screen movie, Billy, Mickey, um, Roman, they all pop up at one last second before they get popped. But oh, she yeah. is like she caught on fire, and yet when she pops in, it only really looks like one half of her side is all burned up. The, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't feel like the makeup is consistent. No, it definitely is not. It, it had that kind of, like, fake, like, not, like, maybe, you can tell they probably did, like, CGI for the actual burn, you know? And then they were like, all right, we'll see, we'll figure out what it looks like later for the makeup. But, uh, yeah, Tara, Tara shoots her in the head. And then we basically get the ending of, like, the first scream redone. Yeah, both the twins survive. Yeah, uh, Chad somehow gets the uh, he gets the Dewey roll, getting away on the uh, stretcher. Yeah. I gotta say, you know, he was lying out there a long time, be- like after getting fucking sieved, and somehow he's still alive. Yeah, he he got shanked like five different times all over, and yeah, somehow he made it. But you know, if Dewey if Dewey can survive three movies, then we guess Chad can too. And, you know, like, Sam, Sydney, and Gail are talking, and Gail's basically like, I'm not writing a book about this. Fuck those people. I'm going to write a tribute to Dewey instead. And, uh, you know, Sam basically is like, I finally, like, found her inner peace, pretty much. And she's like, thank you to Sydney and Gail. And, but they do the exact same shot, like, rising over Stu's house as they did in the first movie before they cut the credits. And that wraps up Scream 2022. So, Luke, Scream 5. Big O, high, medium, low, or are you cutting your dick off? <laughs> uh, Scream 5, I mean, the clock tells me we've talked about like this for two plus hours. I mean, I think there's... This movie's an interesting one, because I think on one level, it's a very good continuation of what we had in Scream 1 through 4. Um, I think, you know, it's got everything you could want from a Scream movie. We've got likable characters, we've got good banter, we've got brutal kills. Um, They do the extra step of killing off Dewey, which, you know, is 
new for the series. It's sad, but, you know, it's kind of like Randy in Scream 2. By the same token, though, I do have to critique. I think they lean a lot on just redoing stuff from Scream 1. Um, the ending in Stu's house, for all intents and purposes, I gotta say, is pretty much the same as the original Scream, and I get that's the point of the meta-ness of it and all, but I, what I will say is I hope to God this is the last time we ever go back to Woodsboro, because I know Scream 6 is coming, but I think we've pretty much said all we can possibly say about, like, you know, reflecting on the original town and the original movie. But, yeah, I mean, the kills are brutal. This movie looks good. Um, when the OG people are there, they're great. Uh, Sid and Gail have very little to do, which is unfortunate. But, thankfully, the new characters are pretty fun. and I mean, I like all of them for the most part. So, yeah, I mean, I guess what I will say is I think it's interesting because... I think the filmmakers probably were like, we don't want to do the same thing as Scream 4, but I think this movie kind of takes a lot from Scream 4, and I think it makes for an interesting duology, like the Woodsboro post-trilogy duology. But yeah, I'm going to give this a high, Cordell. Like, it's, it's a fun slasher film. It's got a lot of cool shit in it. Check it out. And I'm going to go ahead and give this movie a high as well. Um... I think it is a perfect, well, not a perfect, but a great addition to the Scream franchise. Um, it's got a lot of brutal kills. I think this movie's got to have the most brutal kills in the series by far. Um, I like the story. Like, I like the backstory of Sam being related to Billy Loomis. I actually really do like that. Um, I'm kind of hoping maybe, you know, there's a lot, you know... There have been talks with Matthew Lillard. He said he would be interested in playing Stu Marker again. That maybe Stu didn't actually die in the original Scream. Um, I mean, it would be kind of cool to see him come back, I guess. I know they've got Gail Weathers coming back for Scream 6. They don't know if Sydney's coming back yet. Um... I understand why they had to kill Dewey off in this movie, you know. You can't keep having them survive, survive, survive in every movie. It just kind of becomes stale. But it was still sad to see David Arquette's character get killed in this. Um, the, the reveal for who the killers are, I think, was kind of weak. The plot, like, the motive was... I get it, but I don't. I, it's a pretty weak motive to me, you know. To kind, you know, the motive of trying to like, oh, I just want to, uh, I want to get the film franchise I love back on track, so I'm going to orchestrate this whole plot to kill off all my friends. Just, mm, there's a lot of stuff here that's going to make you kind of be like. Eh, I don't know how I feel about that, but this movie is a bona fide slasher movie. I mean, if you come into this looking for kills and blood, you're going to get that. So yeah, Scream 5 gets a high from me. So 
I guess my question to you, Cordell, is what do you want to see in a Scream 6? Because we know it's coming. Yeah, you know, I do not want to see them kill off all the original characters, I guess. You know, kind of like what Star Wars did. You know, Force Awakens killed Han. Last Jedi killed off Luke. And then they killed off Leia in part nine because, you know, Carrie Fisher passed away, unfortunately. But I do not want to see Gale get it in six and then be like, oh, Scream 7, the end of Sidney Prescott. I don't want to see that. Um, I like the character of Sam and Tara, characters of Sam and Tara. I think they are good, you know, new characters for this generation to carry the franchise, but you gotta at least have one legacy character in there to kind of guide them. And if it's not going to be Dewey, and if Sydney don't come back, then I guess I would like to see Gail Weathers stick around. You know, try to do some right in her life, you know, now that Dewey is gone. But, um, it's really difficult to say what I want to see in a Scream 6, because I guess, you know, I would like to see Matthew Lillard come back. Or, you know, anyone from the previous movies come back. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of really hard to say, man. Honestly, I'm kind of not annoyed, but I hate to say it, but I'm pretty much, I think we should let the original characters, because coming out of this movie, we have four new characters, right? We've got Sam and Tara. We've got the twins. Let the original characters be done. Like, do your own Scream 2, right? Put all these people in college or something. I, I guess is kind of what I'm what I would say, like, because I think I really like the twins. I like Sam and Tara. Like, I, I think there's potential there. But I, I agree with you. I don't want it to be like I, Scream Six. We kill off Gale. Scream Seven. We kill off Sydney. Right? Like, yeah, you know. And if Scream Six does kill off Gale or Sydney, then make them the opening kill. Like, shock people right off the bat. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't want them to, because, you know, I th- you know, fuck, at this point, let Gail and Sydney go on and have a fucking life. You know, exactly. if, you're gonna, if you're not going to let Dewey live out the rest of his life, you're going to kill him in this, well, at least have Gail go on and live her life and try to honor Dewey's memory, or have Sydney try to honor Dewey's memory. Like, don't keep bringing them back, because eventually, as with Dewey, your luck is going to run out in these movies. No, exactly. Like, like like you were saying, it's it's redundant to keep having them coming back. So of course the filmmakers are like, we should kill off the characters. But I would say, why even, well, why even know, bring them back? <laughs> you know the question in Die Hard too. How does the same thing happen to the same guy twice? <laughs> so how does the same shit happen to the same three people five times? Well, it's just to the point of ridiculousness. You know. You know, you know, Scream has always kind of been a legitimate franchise in my mind because it really tries to not, it doesn't go into like these crazy angles that a lot of fans, like, there is no Scream in space, there is no, you know, shit like that. So, yeah, if you're going to bring Scream to the next generation, 
give us Sam, Tara, the twins, give us a whole new core group of characters. You know, I know they tried that with the MTV series, but you know what? Some people that I talked to said the MTV series wasn't that bad. The story, no, I mean, the sto- I remember not thinking it was too terrible. The story could have been a little better, but if I remember correctly, the MTV did find an audience with the new generation. I think, you know, we wouldn't have Scream 5 if people didn't like the MTV uh, show. No, I mean, I, I agree completely. I, I And I think, yeah, I think the future for this franchise is moving forward. Keep these people around and just, yeah, you know, build a new meta horror for the new generation. So, thank you everyone for joining us tonight. It has been an honor to review Scream 5 for you. And join us next time. Oh, before I get to that, if you want to email the show and have a movie request, please email me at cinecultpodcast1978 at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram, on uh, Twitter. Uh, Luke, how can people get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, we have a Facebook group, uh, The Killer Reviews. Um, always active there, always posting horror stuff. That's primarily where uh, where you can find us, man. Swing on by and, yeah, send an email. I'm sure uh, Cordell would love to have a feedback segment. So, yeah, just give us, some, like, even if you don't have a movie request, just give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing with the show. Um, if you, I am looking for a co-host, and, you know, Luke seems always, wet, like, willing to get on. I was going to say, damn, dude. <laughs> well, you know, I <laughs> want to I actually want to make you a co-host, Luke, but, you know, it's all up to you. You know, it's really all comes down to scheduling and that. You know? I'm always happy to talk movies with you, Cordell, and thank you for having me on. And, you know, honestly, if I have to go three weeks without doing a show until you're available, well, then I'll do it, you know. As long as we can get on here and talk about a movie, I'm cool with that. I don't I, I don't want this podcast to kind of go away for as long as it did between 2021 and 2022, but... If I have to give it a couple weeks, I'll do that. I mean, you know, we all got stuff going on in life, and that gives me a time to figure out exactly what movie we're going to do next. Um, but, yeah, so you can find us there. Join us next time. I think this is going to actually excite Luke when we sit down and discuss... Toby Hooper's 1986 sequel, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, The Buzz is Back. Oh shit, are we doing that next time? Yep. I'm doing it just for you, Luke. Oh, man after my own heart. I was gonna actually, I I was thinking we were gonna, like, about doing the Scream series after this, like the whole series, but... You know, I, I kind of want to give us some time in between Ghostface and we'll get back to Leatherface with Texas Chainsaw 2 and then we'll figure out if we want to do something else or move on with Scream. Sounds good, brother. 
All right. So have a good night, everybody. Thank you for joining. Take it easy, folks.